Hello and welcome back to History of Westeros podcast weekly live streams, 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Tuesdays, as always, 11 o'clock GMT, although that's not as always because GMT in uh, the U.S. changes, well not GMT in the U.S., we you know how we have our funky time zone changes half a year, so you gotta always pay attention to what time of year it is. Anyway, dragons, 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 super fun to talk about. We talk about them all the time. Like, as you guys know, they come up all the time, and, well, of course they do. But they're usually not the focus. There's usually maybe part of the focus at most, or just a strong feature. Maybe we could say they're... Sometimes we're focusing on a horn of dragons. <laughs> That's right. Dragonbinder, not technically about dragons. Very, very strongly related, but not technically exactly dragons only. You know, Area's Flight we talked about. Yeah, I mentioned Dragonbinder, perfect example. We've talked about the, the Dragonrinder Bond. The sale and tracking of dragon eggs, technically not exactly the same thing. But, you know, if you want to get a, another take from, say, the Shepherd, he would say dragons were unnatural creatures. Demons summoned from the pits of the Seven Hells by the fell sorceries of Valyria. Well, hey... No wonder they're so popular. No wonder <laughs> so many different fantasy fandoms loves dragons. And a funny little anecdote as far as uh, meta things go, as far as dragons' presence in the story. It's uh, maybe not a well-known fact, but a, but a somewhat well-known fact in the fandom that George wasn't going to have dragons <laughs> in A Song of Ice and Fire. It was kind of a last-minute add-on, and uh, maybe not last-minute, but he credits one of his friends for suggesting and encouraging him to put the dragons in. And I've forgotten who that friend was, but I believe it was a fellow author. So we have that fellow author to thank for the dragons being in A Song of Ice and Fire. And we have George to thank for the shape uh, of that, of their uh, contribution to our fandom. <laughs> so with me as always is Ashea, either on one side of the camera or the other. Today on the front side of the camera, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good, uh, just reading the chat. That's right. Always lots to do, even when she's on this side of the camera. She has a lot of things uh, going on at once, juggling a lot of things, keeping a lot of balls in the air at once. So Always keeping a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Always. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we both have cool shirts. She has yes. a badass... Uh, that's the, that's, He's ready to get down to business. I am business, bow body. That's right. Mm -hmm. What does the first B stand for, everybody? <laughs> if you get that joke, then two thumbs up to you. I imagine a lot of you will. But it is not Game of Thrones related. For once, I'm not wearing a Game of Thrones shirt. <laughs> Stop the presses. It's a rare day. So, since we have a great topic on dragons, it fits pretty well that we have some patrons to thank that are... Dragon Riders. Dragon Riders. But also thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, History of Westeros' first sword. He comes even before the Dragon Riders, first in battle. But mm -hmm. as to those Dragon Riders, they are very cool people, and we have art of them. And in fact, we have art of other dragons in this episode as well. We've got a couple of, more than a couple of cool shots of dragons by various people in the fandom. Uh, so thanks to Solanes the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Talarius, the Red Dragon with Scales, Horns, and Talons of Midnight Black. There are several versions of Talarius that we'd like to show, and there'll be another one in the not-too-distant future. Also thanks to Robert IV of House Ardeacor, Burned King of Blazewater Bay, Rider of Atroxus, a black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. Now that's obviously a younger dragon. There aren't a lot of different pictures of, rather, paintings, drawings, slash, of uh, 
Atroxus yet, but they will be coming. Aziz, I'm just going to ask you if you could please scoot up just a little bit. Yeah, okay. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, there is more art coming of both uh, Telenis and Atroxus, and a whole bunch of art of various dragons that we're going to talk about here. A great deal of it, of which was done by Sanrixian. Yeah. She has some, a great sticker pack of dragons that I have on my um, desktop computer, actually. Um, but she's selling them at her website, so check that out. You'll see that art throughout the episode. Absolutely. We also got San Rixian's calendar, which is fantastic. That might be sold out now, though. But uh, to those of you who got it, well, lucky you, like us. Um, if not, if it's not sold out, well, grab one because I think there are not many of them out there. Okay, uh, let's see here. A couple of announcements and a couple of meta topics just to break the ice with the dragon topic. Break the ice. That's the mm. wrong metaphor to use. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they break the yeah, ice dragons wall. can break ice. Yeah, they can break ice. They can melt it. Actually, maybe that was a good uh, good choice of words after all. Sanrixian, by the way, reminds us that we do have a discount code. How, H-O-W, gets you 15% off the web store. We should have mentioned that since we were already bringing her up. You're right. We really uh, should have. That's a good but, point. So thank you for reminding us. <laughs> yes, thanks for reminding us of that. And she says there's some calendars left, so that's a good clarification too. Yeah. So yes, that's as of this meeting? recording, uh, 6-10 on February 12th, 2019, there are three calendars remaining. So mm-hmm. hopefully in a couple hours, there will not even be those three <laughs> remaining. Also, I want to shout out our friends at the Agora Podcast Network. We are a YouTube show and a podcast, and on the podcast side, they are kind of our our gang, our podcast gang. They're our network, and there's a lot of great shows on there. So I know some of you guys, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you may not be as aware of what's going on on the podcast side, so I just want to throw that out there. There's a lot of great shows, History of England, History of the Papacy, um, History of China, just a lot of a lot of really good shows. They're not all history, history shows. History of popcorn? <laughs> I don't think history of popcorn is on there, but there is uh, some history of, of, of movie shows on there. So pop culture, then. pop culture, pop oh. culture, popcorn. Yeah, that's uh, they're pretty similar, right? Okay. Speaking of history, dragons are uh, one of the cool things about dragons. Not one of the reasons that makes them popular in fantasy is how popular they are in real history, even though they aren't a real thing. It's neat how dragons have appeared in a lot of different cultures, like unconnected cultures, like dragons are a thing in China, ancient China. They were a thing in ancient England, too. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool, right? Just the idea of a big lizard that can either fly or not fly or breathe fire or not, or just the various forms that dragons have taken. That's just really cool, I think, that, uh, you know, it comes out like that. And there's some dragon debate out there, isn't there? Like in the, in the nerd fandoms, which of course I don't use that term disparagingly. We are in a nerd fandom, <laughs> very definitively. Nerd. Nerd. Whether what really the debate is, what is a dragon? Like what? How does that work? Is do dragons have four legs or two? And well, to me, it's always up to the author. George has already modified how people work with genetics, right? So yeah. he can define his own term for dragons. And he has a, but it's not just that. It's not just his preference. He has a good, we'll say, scientific reason for basing his dragons this way. There is no such thing as a real creature in nature that has four legs and and two wings. Mm. That doesn't happen mm-hmm. in our experience on Earth. That thing does not evolve. Now, of course, since they're magical, it doesn't have to be evolution. Yeah. But that's a pretty good basis. <laughs> it's a reasonable basis for discussion. And of course, uh, in Song of Ice and Fire, there are wyverns, wyverns, however you prefer. And the quote from Fire and Blood is the wyverns of Sothorios are oft taken for dragons by men who have never seen a dragon. 
And it's cool that they're similar, and that, of course, has led to a lot of speculation that we've done in places like the Great Empire of the Dawn episode and Gagasus episodes uh, about the nature of them. And you know, my question is whether someone can tame a wyvern and, and ride them. That's a good question, yeah. Because if you can tame dragons, why not uh, wyverns? Yeah, because yeah, like we don't. Maybe it's that the dragons, when they were genetically engineered or something, they have something that has made made them more domesticated, basically that like let, lets them be tamed. You know, even if you don't ne- technically have a uh, dragon seed blood or anything, like maybe you could still tame them. That makes sense. But really that wyverns yeah. have never, they're like a wolf where like you couldn't tame them. But I mean, mm. maybe you could, I don't know. Yeah, maybe just some animals are hard to tame. Like when we're, when v- Veramir is going through a lot of description of which animals, he just certainly points out some animals are easier than others to bond with. And he says yeah. like cats are difficult and... Yeah, uh, sure. certain, so maybe certain other animals would be difficult. Like Wyvern that. is the cat of the dragon family. <laughs> the dragons are more like the dogs. Yeah, that's what I think personally. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So that's there. You know, really, honestly, if we were to sit down and do a scripted presentation on dragons, I think it would take up more than one episode. There's so many things we we gathered so many subtopics, and as soon as we announced we were doing this topic, you guys hit us with a lot of great questions. Questions that. In a lot of cases, made me stop and think, wow, I've never seen that question asked before in the fandom. And this is a fandom that's been around for so long. And dragons have been around longer than this fandom, obviously. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's a good way for me to say that we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. of A variety of interesting things to talk about. But the caveat is that some of these topics could definitely be explored further. I approached this topic with the idea of trying to get at mostly just the new things we learn from Fire and Blood, but I think some of the dragon knowledge in the fandom isn't quite ubiquitous enough for us to make all those distinctions. So we're gonna, there's going to be some overlap with things we maybe already know, uh, but we're going to try to stick to the new information as much as possible. First super chat here from Marvin Martin. Question is, why Targs never ride dragons to stop cannibal from eating their pets? Rain as dragons hatch sick and or die. Are certain targs unhealthy for dragons? Can the bond affect dragons like it does humans? Okay, so a couple different questions in there. Uh, well, I would guess why they didn't stop them, stop the cannibal would be because, for one thing... It's big. Well, yeah. He's that's, hard to stop. He is hard to stop. First of all, they don't know when he's going to strike. They don't know when he's going to come. And we saw what happened when dragons fight dragons in Dance of the Dragons. It is almost always... Both dragons are ruined, <laughs> unless one has a huge advantage, like uh, Vagar versus Arax, or something like that, where it's just a massive disparity. Both dragons end up messed up. I mean, Sunfire was way bigger than Moondancer, and Moondancer still really, really damaged Sunfire badly. Not that, that's because Moondancer is is badass. Okay? <laughs> well, that don't too. Hate yeah. on Moondancer. <laughs> Sunfire's just a bitch. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. Sunfire's a bitch. You heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> so that's I uh, see. So I think that's a big part of it. You can't. It's a very. It's a very risky thing for the dragon and the rider. And as long as they're hatching lots of eggs, and as long as they have some dragons to spare, maybe it's just not a big enough problem. If Cannibal was say eating the few dragons they had, if Cannibal was potentially going to just drive all the Targaryen dragons to extinction, then that would be a reason to do something about it. But I think they could just... I think it was more of a nuisance, considering we don't hear of cannibal attacking Targaryens. We definitely hear of the cannibal having bones in his lair, but not from Targaryens, uh, at least not that mm-hmm. we know of. As for whether the bond can affect dragons like it does humans, I think, of course. Yeah, that's a major question for the episode. In fact, we're going to be touching on that 
in and out all throughout the episode. There's lots of things that indicate the dragon senses something from the human. Yeah. Uh, more so than like a dog, but less so than, say, a skin changer bond. Yeah. So, and that's a good caveat, too. Like, it's kind of amazing the things that real life animals can do and sense in people. Like, there are cats trained to identify. Sim, uh, symptoms of a stroke before they happen. These cats are deployed in, in uh, retirement homes, for example. And, you know, people hearing of dogs doing things is nothing new. Dogs are amazing, but everybody knows dogs do amazing things for people. Hearing like cats no can do stuff like that. No one knows about dragons doing amazing things for people. <laughs> That's right. Wow. <laughs> We're trying to rehabilitate the image of the dragon today. <laughs> That's a big part of our uh, thrust here. And another know. part of the question is, are certain targs unhealthy for dragons? That I... Don't think so. I have no evidence of that. It's a very interesting question, but uh, nothing comes to mind. Uh, and as far as the other reverse of that, there is some evidence maybe that a bond, dragon bond can make a human a little stronger. Uh, in the case of Anis and in Reyna, there seemed to be a big change in them when they bonded with their dragon. But that just might be growing older and getting more self-confidence. That doesn't necessarily have to be anything magical. So... Mm. Very good questions, Marvin. Um, we also have anime lover Nicole asking, how did Cannibal get on Dragonstone? P.S. Could you sing happy birthday? It's just after midnight here. <laughs> well, how did Cannibal get on Dragonstone? That's an awesome question. We kind of wanted to touch on that later, but we'll go ahead and touch on it now. Mm -hmm. It's not um, It's not important to keep that in a certain order. There's some speculation Cannibal came before uh, the Targaryens, which is possible because the Valyrians came... A hundred years before the Targaryens did to Dragonstone. These were Valyrians that didn't have dragons, so I don't know why they would have cannibal. But let's just say they had an egg or mm -hmm. something, and Dragonstone's a great place for eggs to hatch. But the, we do know the cannibal lives on the eastern side of, of Dragonstone, or the of uh, the island of Dragonstone, mm -hmm. and which is farther from Westeros. I don't know what, what, that doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it does tell us that much. It's kind of the, the narrow sea side of things, which may indicate that something about how he settled initially, if he maybe came from overseas on his own. It's a really cool mystery, but we aren't given a lot of clues. A lot of it's very circumstantial. Um, so we don't know for sure, but I would suspect that he came from the early batch of eggs that came from probably from Balerian Vagar Meraxes. Okay. Uh, one of those early eggs from there. So you still think he is younger than Balerian and that they didn't just misage, misdate this age of this dragon? Yes, that seems unlikely. Yeah. A dragon being misdated only 300 years ago seems very unlikely. Dragons is too big a thing yeah. to to be like, when did that dragon first appear? People would have <laughs> People would have some stories about that. It'd be a good question for the dragon keepers. This is something that's a lot. Something that occurred to me when we were when we were preparing this episode is there's this this new order of the dragon keepers, which isn't new, but we didn't know that much about them, and we still don't know that much about them. But we do know that they're the ones that have the day to day charge of the dragon. So they would be observing all these behaviors, and when we look at things like mating habits later, we're gonna the set the maesters don't know a lot about it, but the maesters probably didn't have as much. FaceTime with the dragons as these dragon keepers did. They would be inter interesting people to have interviewed back in the day when that mm. was possible. And you wonder if the maesters did that. It would have been a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. But they might not have. They may, uh, a lot of times those maesters get their news from the highborn and not from the people on the with the boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, 
couple of announcements before you we gotta sing her happy birthday, oh, and you I'm have to direct so it to sorry. anime lover Nicole too. That's right. You okay. sing it because and, and Aziz had. I have to say, anyone especially who has listened to Radio Westeros knows that Aziz is a lovely musician who studied mm-hmm. classical guitar and has Thank a nice you. voice. So I'm gonna let him sing this and not subject everyone to my voice. <laughs> but you have to say anime lover Nicole. Okay, and I won't say birthday. I'll have to say happy happy name. birthday, not birthday. Happy name day mm-hmm. to you. Happy name day to you happy name day anime lover nicole happy birthday name day <laughs> i can't do it right to you i don't know where you are but uh, i guess the, i guess this was uh she said a, it's just after midnight well yeah just after midnight. i guess that's it's probably the uk but yeah. uh not sure anyway maybe not but happy birthday wherever you are happy name day <laughs> i can't i can't get name day straight i just revert to birthday anyway okay so Couple of announcements. Next week, we're doing the Hour of the Wolf with Nina Friel as our guest. Yay! And that'll be her first time on the show, which is cool because she's done a lot for us in the past, a lot of uh, helping with writing and bouncing ideas back and forth, stuff like that. So this should be very cool. And either the week after that or the week after that, we're going to do an old episode on the Sea Snake which is going to be extra mm. cool because it's going to debut a feature we hope we can make regular. It won't be regular in live streams, but we're debuting it in a live stream. Hopefully it'll be regular for our scripted episodes, which is art, a lot of art from a single artist specifically prepared for a specific episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've got Drafturgy. You can find it Twitter at Drafturgy. That's D-R-A-F-T-U-R-G-Y. Just lovely, lovely artwork. I think it's very, it's the kind of artwork that I really could picture in, you know, a book about A Song of Ice and Fire, like in Fire and Blood as the illustrations in it. So I'm particularly excited about this. And so, yeah, he's doing some, uh, he's doing some uh, Coralie's Valerian art, Melly's the Red Queen, uh, Rainy's Targaryen. High Tide, the castle. It's like locations, ships, a bunch of really, really cool stuff. So I cannot wait. Oh, I see that anime lover Nicole is from the Netherlands. Okay, okay, that's cool. That answers All right. that. Excellent. Uh, we're going to do, an, uh, we're going to start our season eight coverage as soon as the trailer drops. That normally would have happened by now. In past years, the trailers come out as much as four months ahead of time, and we're under less than two months now. Well, almost two months. We're two, we're two days shy of two months away, and February is a short month. So it's a little odd that we haven't had one yet, but I don't mind. It's kind of cool, builds the excitement a little more. And uh, so we'll start our coverage when that drops and go from there. Sean will be uh, rejoining us for those. And, uh, yeah, we'll just see what happens with that. You know, we can't really predict. We're, we're doing our Twitch streams every other Friday, as always. That's still uh, the game Crusader Kings 2 uh, with modded for Game of Thrones. We're still on our House Whore playthrough, and things are going well there. Hope to see you this Friday or in another Friday. If not, it's twitchtv.historyofwesteros. And, of course, we uh, want to plug the conventions again. We got uh, Ice and Fire Con coming up in April. Mm-hmm. Use the code HISTORY for $5 off your ticket purchase. All three of us will be there. All three of us will be doing panels. Mm -hmm. They have a schedule out already that you can check out. There will be some tweaking to it, but it is still fun to see. That's right. And even if you're maybe listening to this episode, you know, not in the year 2019, that code is probably still good. Same goes for the same code, HISTORY. Gets you $5 off a Con of Thrones, which is in July in Nashville. And they don't have a schedule out yet because they're farther out. But they did just announce that John Bradley, a.k.a. Sam Tarley, will be there. So that's great news. I've been telling Aziz this whole time that that's the one that's the person I want to come. (laughs) He can attest to that, that I'm just starstruck. That's the person I'm very, very excited about. Everyone else can can flock to Nikolai. (laughs) Yeah, it's whatever. But 
Yeah, Sam. That's very cool. My yeah, reaction. No, we, so last year we got to interview, you know, Sirio Farrell, and probably won't get to interview Sam, but if I could ask for anyone, I would ask for John Bradley. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed there. We might get uh, to interview one of them. We'll, we'll see. That'd also really in convention cool. news, I feel like it's worth mentioning as well. This is a little bit further in advance, but we are still hoping to go to Worldcon if you live in the Ireland area. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. We could uh, be a rare time to hang out with us and, you know, go to Worldcon and see a bunch of other people as well. So let's uh, let's try to make that happen, people. We hope to see you at one or more of those cons. It's a great time and great fun. We're also always at DragonCon because we live here in Atlanta. Very true. Good plug. Good call on that plug. Absolutely. We love DragonCon. Nice, uh, nice close location for us. Okay. As we go through a lot of these de- dragon details, I-, I want everyone to keep in mind that part of the point of this is to consider what implications any of this information might have for Daenerys, any other potential dragon riders, whoever they may be, and of course, her actual living dragons, the only three living dragons in A Song of Ice and Fire that we know of, Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal. So all these questions have to... At least consider that as well. But of course, it's just fun to geek out on dragons in general. Let's let's be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that doesn't necessarily apply to Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal is some of the things we learn about the really old school dragons. Uh, because eh, one of the things we learn about dragons is that their age means a lot to them. And there's just no chance for Daenerys' dragons to ever really age, right? They're not likely to ever get old, at least not in the time span of the series. Maybe one of them lives, and who knows, after that. But that's something to keep in mind, too. Uh, we, we have another, here's that super chat from Marvin Martin. Uh, cannibal, another question about the cannibal. Cannibal's very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Strange thing to be popular, right? <laughs> not, not really. I get it. I think the cannibal's really cool. A wasted dragon, LOL. Black and green eyes, like Shaggy Dog. And underused wolf, black with green eyes, on a cannibal island. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a cool parallel. I didn't catch that. Yeah, Shaggy Dog is on an island full of cannibals, and he has black eyes, or black, black fur and green eyes. That's a cool little catch. Yeah, the black with green is really uh, kind of s- pretty frightening, I think, the combo. The only thing that would be scarier is black with the red eyes. Mm. And uh, in my mind, that's a re- just something about that. That combo is really frightening. Very cool catch, though. I hadn't seen that. That's really good. And we do have a, a Parallel Lives prepared for this episode. It's pretty fun. It's, uh, it's it's obviously has to do with dragons, and uh, you'll see it when we get there. Mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy with this particular one. <laughs> One of the first introductions we get to dragons is from Tyrion's perspective. He's the first one to really think about dragons. And that is, of course, something we think about when we're comparing what we learned in Fire and Blood to that. One of the really cool things he mentions is that the Red Keep has a 3,000-year-old dragon skull that the Targaryens brought with them, which is just, whoa, 3,000 yeah. years old? Dang. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what to think about that. But I think that... The idea that the Targaryen family existed that long ago is is not a slam dunk. It may just be that they inherited that skull from someone else, or maybe yeah. they're maybe they're an offshoot of some other family. Who knows? But mm-hmm. I wonder about that skull. And it leads me to a question that comes from uh, Aliskander of Yt. He asks, "With all the dead dragons from the history of Westeros, don't you think there should be more weapons made with dragon bone?" Now, because of the skulls, of course, that's a it's a interesting segue to that. And well. One of the things I would guess is that the, the, the bones really aren't the possessions of just of other people. The Targaryens would get to keep a lot of them. Yeah, I they would think. keep them, but so they, I mean, what would they do with them is a question. But my question is, how well do these dragon bone weapons last? 
That's a good question, too. Because, like, weapons don't just, I mean, a lot of, like, not normal, like, Valyria and steel weapons, you know, are very well, but a lot of weapons aren't things that you just keep forever. That's true. Regular steel, even regular steel would rust away, as we saw, like, in the crypts. The swords rust away, even though they they may take a long, long, long time. But we are talking a long, long, long time. Plus, if if a lot of those things were collected in Valyria, they would have just gone down with the doom. Yeah. Um, In terms of, but he, he, Scott, does particularly mention Westeros here in his question. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe there are more out there. I mean, for example, we have... The the plain dragon bone hilted Valyrian steel blade that started the whole oh oh who killed who tried to kill Bran mm-hmm. that's a dragon bone hilt yeah but it's plain jo- Robert set it aside because it's plain I guess maybe that's part of it dragon bone sounds fancy but it doesn't it's, look fancy it's, it, it, it's just black plain but also like it's a dragon bone hilt but like for that little dagger but what's the value in that really like what yeah. does it make that that weapon any better not really right the hilt no but we do not hear like, the yeah. dragon bone bows are superior yeah yeah I just mean for like a hilt for that but, which for, a to, sword but hilt, for it to be a hilt on a little dagger maybe tells you that they really were wrong and dragon bone if they were using it for things as useless as that yeah maybe it's just not talked about a lot maybe there is more out there than we think but um it's just not mentioned as an important thing because it's just essentially <laughs> jewelry decoration and it doesn't stand out because it's just mm-hmm. black that could be it. It, it it's not fancy like uh like the eggs <laughs> <laughs> but good question good question um and so as far as the first targaryen dragons we know that there were well not first but the first ones that come to westeros we know that it was balerion and four other dragons now what happened to those four? A theory I heard a long time ago that I really liked was it came from Lord Varys, a.k.a. Calgmoth on Westeros.org. He thought that maybe there had been a Dance of the Dragons 1.0 or 0.0, a, a smaller scale Targaryen civil war that would have accounted for the deaths of a few dragons, as well as maybe explaining how the Targaryen branch didn't split off into more trees. However... That is put that uh, theory was put to rest by the notion that no dragons had fought till Quicksilver and, and uh, Balerion met beneath the god's eye. So, unless that quote's just wrong, there was no dragon on dragon action uh, during the pre conquest era. Well, not in the fighting Stone. sense of the word, <laughs> other senses. We're gonna get to that other sense of the word a little <laughs> bit later. Dragon breeding is definitely on the list here. Oh, don't you don't worry about that. But yeah, there's but there were a lot of there's are several references to Valyrian dragon wars, which is cool. Uh, Daemon Targaryen mentions that is any basically any uh, maester can tell you that dragons fighting dragons is no simple thing, and it's it's kind of a surprising quote because from him everyone's talking about sending the dragons to attack King's Landing, and him the most aggressive of the bunch is like, no, we shouldn't do that because when dragons fight dragons everyone dies. <laughs> There's no winner. Uh, so it's best to avoid that. And uh, even Alisande studied Val- Valyrian dragon wars during her time. And there's a great quote from uh, when Rogar brought up the idea of setting Jaehaerys aside, which thankfully no one went for, for the rest of us. The hand's words conjured visions of old Valyria before the doom when Dragonlord contended with Dragonlord for supremacy. So, Yeah. That's uh, that's all that. In fact, there's a good quote here that shows you just how bad it is for dragons. When two dragons meet in mortal combat, therefore, they will oft employ weapons other than their flame, claws black as iron, long as swords, and sharp as razors, jaws so powerful they can crunch through even a knight's steel plate, tails like whips whose lashing blows have been known to smash wagons to splinters, break the spine of heavy destriers, and send men flying 50 feet in the air. And we, we've seen, of course, evidence of this. The most firsthand is 
Daenerys riding Drogon, who just sits on the back of a horse he set on fire and breaks its back. And Drogon is not very old. You can imagine that. Just imagine what they do to each other. That quote was partially in reference to how little their flame does to each other. Um, because as we know, they become, their scales grow tougher over time. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead to a quote that refers to that directly, and we'll talk about that for a minute. As a dragon ages, its scales thicken and grow harder, affording even more protection, even as its flames burn hotter and fiercer, where the flames of a hatchling can set straw aflame. The flames of Beleriand or Vagar and the fullness of their power could and did melt steel and stone. But, interestingly, this thing we've all known for a while, I think, this is not, that information isn't new, but we did get something new to add to that, which is that Beleriand stopped growing. Balerion did cease to grow at some point. It's mentioned that he just wasn't getting any bigger, which probably or maybe means that his scales weren't getting thicker more. So he wasn't getting tougher in that regard. He may have finally been on the way down, right? It's not just do they grow bigger until the day they die. That doesn't sound right. There's probably some decline <laughs> phase. And of course, Balerion, though, the information's a little confounded because in his, you know... We're like Benjamin Button, we're like... I mean, once they get to this certain point, then they just, like, go backwards. And that's the natural lifespan of a dragon. Like, if you let them live, eventually they just go back into their egg and, like, circles. Dungeon, what is that, a Benjamin <laughs> dragon? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. But, so we really need to think about, we could really do a whole subtopic on, we could call it Dragon Ages, Westeros. And, <laughs> Dragon Age, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, we know that Vagar lived 181 years, but Vagar died in battle. Balerion actually died maybe of old age, but Balerion had those nasty wounds acquired in Valyria, which it's not hard to see how that might have shortened his lifespan. Maybe that's why he stopped growing. Maybe he would have just kept growing until the mm. day he died. It's not clear. Don't the fact smoke. That, yeah, don't smoke. <laughs> Smoking kills, folks. <laughs> but four year, four, with four dragons, four of the original dragons coming to Westeros from Valyria and all of them dying within that hundred year span and none of it through violence that we know of, at least not dragon on dragon, strongly implies to me that they do have mm, 200-ish year lifespan. Maybe it can go a little longer, but it does seem, I think we can kind of narrow it down. Yeah. Okay, um, this leads us to another question about young dragons from Jennifer Taylor. Weird question that may have an obvious answer. Do dragons reproduce asexually? I know it is possible in reptiles. And, well, I think reptiles are our best comparison for dragons, but there's so many yeah. things about them that don't compare at all. Yeah. Like, uh, reptiles are cold-blooded. Dragons are not cold-blooded. <laughs> that blood, like, smokes and seems to be acidic. And yeah, like, ooh, that's a pretty big difference. Also, interestingly enough, blue is an extremely rare color in reptiles because oh. it's not a naturally occurring color in that. Like blue in reptiles mm. is, is from light reflection in their, yeah. some sort of thing in their scale. Whereas uh, we have several blue dragons. So that's, you know, maybe George is having fun with colors. But of course, George also, on the topic of color, George also has their color, their, their flames as the color of the to match their their mm. their scale color which is that's clearly a fantasy thing <laughs> <laughs> not only that but the the fire itself the color of the fire and the fire itself yeah. and interestingly this is a, a a mystery to some for some not uncommon animals in the real world tommy pappas re responded to jennifer taylor's question by pointing out that great white sharks 
in in there's a million dollar reward uh, offered by the Discovery Channel for anyone with footage great white sharks mating. They just don't know how it's done. And frankly, that applies here. We don't know how dragons mate. That's why I brought up the dragon keepers earlier. We don't know what the mechanism is. Whether they some reptiles seriously, just one like reptile will stand above the male reptile stands above the female and just kind of drops his stuff in there. There's no insertion. <laughs> it's just kind of a drip. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes in. A lot of animals, a lot of reptiles have two penises. Some of them just have the one and, you know, it, it, they do their thing. They copulate and the sperm kind of joins in with the, the embryo and it turns into an egg. But some reptiles can get sperm in them and that sperm lives for years. <laughs> so they can produce an egg like years later and the sperm is still inside their system ready to go. Which, if that's how dragons work, we have no way to track who the dads are. <laughs> I'm just laughing at people like, wow, what did I just walk in on? Yeah, the drip, drip, drip. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, very weird time to come into our stream, for sure. We're just talking about business. Yes. <laughs> and then it gets even more confusing because some reptiles can simply reproduce asexually. They do not need a partner. So when we hear of dream fire hatching or laying eggs without any other dragon around and the idea that those, those eggs could hatch... You can see why they were wondering about whether that was possible, because apparently she doesn't need a mate. Yeah. Or she could have had a mate five years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back when she was on Dragonstone with Balerion or Vermithor, who knows any of these possibilities. She saw them all. Yeah. It's really strange. And we have that comment from Barth about uh, dragons being able to change sex at will, and the maesters kind of laugh at that idea. They think it's kind of silly, but it's a real thing in the real world. We have fish... Sitting on the other side of this this camera that can do that. We have cichlids. African cichlids that do that exact thing. And they change color when they do it. They're sneaky. There's males, male cichlids that will infiltrate a group of 10, of 20 females, one male, which is kind of a typical organization. <laughs> and will he will hide himself using female colors so he can get the food from the group. Mm -hmm. And if that, if the main male dies, the other male will have the right to take the alpha male colors. <laughs> I don't know how that applies to dragons, but it's really cool. And um, so you wonder if dragons' coloring has anything to do with their size and strength. I kind of doubt it, though, because they don't seem to change once they're set. There doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be any evidence of dragons changing their color after birth. So that does lead us to another question, also from Jennifer Taylor, which is, what does color appear to mean anything with regards to dragons? Is it passed genetically like eye or hair color in humans? Well, as I just pointed out, there's an extreme difficulty in tracking who the mothers and fathers are. It's definitely possible, but we just have no way to really know because there's just too little understood about the mechanism and the logistics behind this dragon breeding. Uh, we don't know whether they are asexual, whether they have this long-running sperm thing going on, or some entirely other <laughs> And Marvin Martin, could the pit have something to do with Balerian, with why Balerian stopped growing? And I also asked why nettles tacked not used by more people. That's a good question also. Okay, so we'll take those one at a time. Could the pit have something to do with Balerian stopped growing? Uh, no, because Balerian spent very little time in the pit. The pit wasn't really finished during Balerian's day. Uh, Balerian, when Balerian was stolen by Aurea, she he was on Dragonstone. And when he came back, it was to King's Landing. And he stayed there. But I'm pretty sure the Dragon Pit was finished during his lifespan, but I'm not sure he spent a lot of time in it. Uh, so it's possible. You know what? I'll, I'll revise my answer. It's possible that impacted his later growth. 
But it didn't seem to change Vagar. It didn't, it didn't seem to happen to Vagar that we know of. So the, we have maybe confounding data here. So mm -hmm. what we probably need is probably other circumstances that were impacting it. We can't get a straight answer that way. <laughs> Here's a great question from Danny Buck, kind of related to a question we got last week. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized dragons or one giant dragon-sized duck? Mm. I think it's the same answer as last week, similar. Or no, it's a different answer. Last week we went with, with the single one. I would rather one. go we with... We went with the one cow. This week... I, w I would definitely go with one giant dragon-sized duck. Yeah, you would rather as face that? As much as I'm scared and dislike birds, dragons are way worse. Okay. Like, hmm. I mean, that's a hundred little dragons all in your bathroom. or I don't know why I said bathroom, but I picture them like... <laughs> last week's last question week was, bathroom. was bathroom. Yeah, that's yes. why. Um, <laughs> it was, we'd rather share a bathroom with. Yeah. fighting them. But no, I'd yeah. way rather fight the giant duck. How dangerous is a duck-sized dragon, though? I mean, there are a hundred of them. So a hundred of them, very dangerous. I mean, one little dragon is like a hassle. Like, just picture one little duck-sized dragon, like... Nipping at you, burning hmm. your beard away, like flapping its <laughs> wings at you. It can mess you up. Hmm. I guess maybe uh, maybe we should just go ahead and uh, pivot and just spend the entire rest of the episode discussing <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> but Danny also has a more uh, serious question. I don't know what he means. Well, that was the most serious question we've ever had. Very serious. Oh, he says, how did, Barth that all day. how did Barth become such an expert? Did he write literally or metaphorically? Well, I think George gave us a bit of a clue on uh, the first part of that. How did he become such an expert? Dude just lived in the library. He yeah. loved reading and spent a lot of time there and just made himself an expert on a lot of things. He had a, a learner's attitude. He didn't try to... Seemed know, just... like some of it was him speculating too, though. Oh, you're And right. he just had you're a right. good sense of, of, of things and logic and how, you know, I think he just was able to guess at things that, you know, make sense. Yeah, when you're guessing at unknown things, it really pays to have a brain that can operate in multiple spheres. And what I mean is left brain and right brain. Left brain thinking is more of the logical processes, uh, data, things like that, whereas right brain thinking is more the artistic sort of creative and abstract thinking. And when you're trying to guess at things that you don't have all the information on, that's where the right brain thinking can. You use your left brain to figure out, to, to analyze what you do know, and then you fill in the gaps with the right brain thinking. Um, and I think that's kind of the kind of guy Barth was. He was very solid with data when he had it, but he was really good at taking, using, making abstract guesses with limited information. And as far as the second part of the question, literally or metaphorically, mostly literally. I think he wrote mostly literally. There's some metaphor in there, but I think he was truly, honestly, trying to get at what made the dragons what they were, what made the Targaryens what they were, why these things operate, why these things are real. Um, how they're real, but he definitely believed in the gods, and uh, with with the gods, he probably had a little more humility. In fact, he says that his curiosity is sort of against his beliefs. He thinks he's maybe his curiosity was a little too much, uh, mm. which is probably something that all of us would disagree with. But <laughs> as far as his teachings, the faith of the seven teach you to be a little more. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. Don't ask too many questions. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Authoritarian uh, religion situation. But clearly it wasn't so authoritarian that he couldn't do his thing. So so that's good. We have several questions about nettles. And so... We have nettles in the chat, chat too. Oh, really? Well, hi, nettles. The girl nettles. Nettles is a really big conundrum. Uh, does nettles prove that dragons can be tamed without magic or prove in Valyrian blood? What do you reckon happened to her in Sheep Stealer? That's from Briannus Paulus Aperulus, and uh, Tommy Pappas asked a similar question. I think a few other people did as well. There's always a lot of curiosity about nettles. 
I don't think it proves that they can be tamed without magic no. or proven in blood, but it, it makes the case very yeah. strongly. You choose very make your strongly. make your choice. Yeah. Whatever makes you most satisfied. I really think that there's a lot of things in the series that that we don't ever need to find out a solid answer for, and you can just choose whatever makes you happiest. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it because that is at the core of how a lot of authors write. They want you to to fill in the blanks yourself with what you think it should be because it's supposed to be for fun in the first place. We're enjoy we're reading a series for fun. This isn't something that we're writing, you know, data reports, data-driven reports on for people to live their lives through, you know, at least tar- for as, at least as far as, you know, living and existing in this world. Yeah, this is all entertainment. So that that's of course always at the core of these things. Uh, as far as um something George said really early on in the game, like 1999, back when he was you could just walk right up to him and ask him questions <laughs> about Game of Thrones. People asked him about the three heads of the dragon. It was a big popular question back then because that was something that came out early. And he said the first two, he said the third head of the dragon does not necessarily need to be Targaryen, mm-hmm. which of course was, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so of course that could be Tyrion, it could be Bran, it could be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it has people guessing whether that means Tyrion is a Targaryen or not, it, it, how that affects that whole d- debate. And I think what it means too is that we are going to maybe see some of these things come into play. We already did see a little bit with Brown Ben Plum. The dragons kind of recognized him. And that scene is, has felt like foreshadowing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to be for John or Tyrion is another question altogether. In fact, some people took George's line to say that he's talking about John. Because John technically isn't Targaryen unless he's te- unless he technically is. <laughs> unless he's married. Unless Rhaegar and Lyanna were married. So that's a whole other debate that doesn't really get into the nature of dragons themselves, but impacts, uh, you know, the bloodlines that dragons may or may not be able to mm-hmm. detect. But I personally think that you do not need the dragon blood. I think that Nettles may have had dragon blood, absolutely may have, no doubt it's possible, but doesn't have to be the case. And I do think that Tyrion may follow in her footsteps a bit with the feeding the dragon, getting it to like you. We rather get than drunk. Get it? That's what he would do. That's now. That's a great idea. <laughs> okay. Um, we have okay a little bit more here. Beth Hunt asks, "I've wondered about the babies given eggs that don't hatch, while siblings have eggs that do. Obviously, there is no exact science of dragon hatching, but I wonder if the ones that don't hatch aren't fierce enough to ride one, at least in the time of magic, and many live in dragons. Yeah, of course. There's always that caveat when the time of magic, when magic is ebbing and not uh, happening in the world, that just throws the whole the whole thing off. But yeah, I'm not sure about that because for example, Amond. Amond is, you know, pretty scummy little kid, but no doubt he was aggressive, cruel, and and not f- scared. Yeah. <laughs> Fierce would, describes him pretty well. Uh, uh, and all, and Damon Targaryen himself, also very fierce. His egg didn't hatch. Caraxes wasn't his, uh, not initially. Caraxes belonged to Amond first, uh, his uncle. So yeah, I, I think no. I think it's a good theory. Is a good uh, that's that kind of theory of personality impacting dragons and, and vice versa is something we're going to talk about a little more, and it's in that line. But I think I think I got to say no on this one. Lauren Scipioni had a, a follow up. This this question came up in the Facebook group. It's one of the fun things about posting our uh, questions for us in the Facebook group is you get the opportunity to have other people weigh in with some side takes or follow up questions. Mm-hmm. So there's a shout out for our Facebook group. So Lauren says. Following on this, do we know of dragons actually sitting on their eggs? Or are we supposed to assume that they just hatch without care from the parent? If so, what do you think is the connection between human children and hatchlings mutually strengthening themselves once they've been presented with eggs or hatchlings? 
Well, I sort of discussed the second part of that already, um, the mutual strengthening. I didn't really discuss it on the dragon side. Do you have anything mm. to add to the dragons? Maybe the dragon bond helps the dragon? I hadn't really th thought about that. That's interesting. No. Yeah, I wonder about that. Sure. that. That's a question, maybe a follow-up question for later. But but no, I don't think the dragons actually take care of their eggs. Yeah, there's no evidence of, of sitting no, on them. No, no evidence of them. Other being, there's no evidence of them being there when their eggs hatch or carrying. Or yeah. I would be interested, for for example, like dragons have this seem to have this extrasensory ability, right? Like their 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 eggs hatch. Like, do they perk up a little bit? Can they sense yeah. that their babies were born? Do they have a bond with their children? Do they have any sort of bond together? That's a good question. Yeah, I would guess no. Um, I would guess that there are like a lot of reptiles in that regard where they don't care at all for their young, uh, other than showing some care in where they so lay much the eggs shade in the for first reptiles. place. <laughs> No, it is true. I, it makes me think of actually um this this is Futurama episode where they yeah. do Naturama, you know, where yeah. they're, um, they they talk <laughs> about the you know tortoise. Yeah. And the professor Farnsworth is a tortoise, and he ends up having his his little hatchlings, right? Oh yeah. Like his little eggs, and there's him and he, they just him and mom just leave the eggs there on the beach. And they're like, we're it's tortoises. True. We don't do that. We don't take care of our young, and they just die. It's just that they just get crushed by a rock. No, but Futurama has some sad animal moments. No, I guess it? you are right that uh, they don't really stick around for them. The, the only hatching, like sitting on thing, I could think of is there's two two kind of jokes about it. They're both from Mushroom. Mushroom jokes about egg on the second sitting on a purple and gold egg to try to hatch it, which is obviously just a joke. But where did he get the concept of sitting on it? And he also refers to Sunfire as a chicken. When Sunfire has his w w uh, wing wounded, he talks about him as like an awkward, like a flying, fire-breathing chicken, which, mm -hmm. you know, chickens sit on their eggs. But that's a, that's a pretty big stretch to think that dragons sit on their eggs just because of those comments by Mushroom. <laughs> but also because we've seen eggs just carried around and, and yeah. yeah, they don't seem, the dragons don't seem to care if people are taking them. They aren't protective of them that, in that regard. No. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. That's a good point that they don't seem to be bothered by anyone do, doing anything with their eggs. Yeah. Marvin Martin asks, speaking of personality, why was Grey Ghost such a shy dragon? Also, if we have lizard babies, could we have humanoid hatchlings? Oh. Well. That's uh, a weird thought. That is a weird thought. It's kind of cool. But I think no, because I think the Targaryens have altered themselves. Yeah. I don't think that they necessarily altered the dragons. Yeah, or that they're sleeping with dragons in that way. Right. <laughs> but it's a, that's a great question. I love, like, the inverse. The inverse question is always a smart thing, like, smart way to, like, try to figure out if you're seeing the whole picture. Uh, we do that so much in this fandom. We look at the fire side of things and we say, hey, we'll look at the ice side of things and vice versa. Because mm -hmm. there's genetic manipulation going on both sides, right? The others, whatever they're doing, is there's some genetic manipulation going on yeah. there uh, on the magical side. David Howlett said, humanoid hatchlings. Isn't that what came out of Aria? <laughs> Man, in a sense, yeah, I guess so. Mm -hmm. But the first part of the question was, why was Grey Ghost such a shy dragon? I assume that like a lot acne. of animals, it just kind of like what's that? Had acne, acne growing up. Just really <laughs> embarrassed about it all. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be it. Yeah. yeah, I think it might just be that George wanted to give us a, a wide ver variety of personalities for these dragons, and um, but also a theory that came out of a discussion on Twitter that when we get to our discussion on our parallel lives discussion, we're going to come back to a little gray ghost theory. File that one away for later. Acre Frey with another tongue twister for us. Stop Scotch times. Scotch. Stop Scotch Scotch. Stop Scotch Scotch. Oh, that's, okay. that's not too bad. Stop Scott Scotch. Stop Scott Scotch. Stop Scott Scotch. Did I do it? Yeah, you I did. Didn't do I don't it that think fast. you messed up. That was pretty good. That was a that was a good pace. Really it wasn't super fast, but yeah. That was super fast. No. That's good. 
So <laughs> so stop Scott's scotch. Right. All right. So everybody at home, say it yourself. Okay. So I want to go through a few fun Balerian facts uh, just to give us some idea of, of uh, how dragons can work in battle and how they've been used in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Also, it, we, kicking us off with a question here is Lady Erdros. There are obvious parallels between Area Area slash Balerian and Danny slash Drogon when they fly off together. Both take flight on a dragon they're unable to control fully. What is it that makes Balerian take Area home? And will there be further parallels in the story going forward? I wonder if there will be further parallels in the story going forward. I think there will be, but we may have already seen it because, like she says in the question, Danny. Gets on Drogon and Drogon takes takes her uh, takes her off to the Dothraki Sea where he has made his home. It's not exactly where he was born, but it's close no, to it. It's close, relatively close. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, like it was a general. It was area. basically like the Dothraki Sea was where he was born, right? Like where the eggs yeah, were hatched. I don't think it's that exact. I mean, like place, he didn't so. take him to like the location exactly, but yeah, it is that region. Enough. Yeah, it was in the Dothraki Sea area. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's close. It's not like they were hatched, you know, in Pentos and he took her to the Thraki Sea. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was there. So Um, what could happen is we might see Viserion and Rhaegal be drawn by the horn and then, or one of them, and then maybe later they just go back to Essos and mm -hmm. head back to the Dothraki Sea. But that's the puzzling part is that their home is the Dothraki Sea. So if it's some sort of homing signal, then that's the place they would go, which I don't know if that's uh, necessarily going to work. But maybe it will. Maybe that's how Daenerys comes back in the story. Maybe her dragons go to her way out in the Dothraki Sea, and then she kind of comes back with them. And that's an interesting question, too. Like, how does she get the other two dragons to follow her if she's riding one of them? We see that on the TV show, but we don't see how. It just happens. But we do see that in the books as well. Obviously not in A Song of Ice and Fire proper. But, for example, at one point, Daemon Targaryen flies to, I think it's Driftmark, and he just brings Vagar with him. Vagar just follows. And we don't know how, like, what command was issued? What did Damon do? Like, hey, Vagar, follow me. You know, like, how, what command was uttered? Mm-hmm. What what was what was done there to make Vagar follow, right? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and maybe that's something that Satyrian will get into. He'll start, he'll read about dragon commands, and we have Dracarys. So that is an established thing that a command that dragons can respond to. And we also have some generic verbiage in fire and blood about commands being used. We just Mm -hmm. don't know what they were. We don't know specific. So it seems like again, using dogs as an example, some really intelligent dogs can respond to literally hundreds of commands. Those are really, really exceptional dogs. Normal dogs can respond to, I don't know, a couple dozen, maybe a dozen. So, it's real as far as that goes. Animals can learn commands, and dragons are are magical, so we really don't need the real world for that, but it's cool that we have both. <laughs> Another example of that is the, the flame of Vagar lighting Aegon the Conqueror's pyre during his funeral. How does Visenya tell Vagar to burn that spot right there specifically? <laughs> it's not in in battle. Maybe the dragon's like, "Oh, you say Dracarys and the dragon attacks something in front of it." But like, how do you tell it to burn a pyre, a corpse? You know, I don't know. It's interesting. These these things might. I think I think George is going to have to get into some of this. If I know anything from video games, you just like use your toggle stick to like select that location, <laughs> and then you press probably like X, and then the dragon will go for it. <laughs> 
Okay. A, A, B, up, down, left, yeah. right. Yeah. It's not that complicated. You got to just be able to mash it. So it's probably just like X, maybe X and yeah, something else. That makes sense. All right. We yeah. solved it. Yeah. There you Stream go. Over. It's really very simple. <laughs> now, so as far as the, the, the heat of the dragon's flames, Balerion and Vagar had ridiculously powerful flame because of their age. So we talked earlier about how these other dragons are not going to get to that age. So we don't think that Drogon's going to go melting any castles. Um, but they don't have to melt the castles either. Even uh, Balerion and Vagar, when they went through Dorne, it says that they burnt every castle in Dorne three times. Well, if they were melting the stone, they clearly didn't melt the whole castle, else there would be anything to come back to. You know, they clearly didn't melt pale, the Pale Sword Tower at, uh, at, da- at um, House Dane or at uh, Starfall because it's still there. <laughs> So, I gotta say, you said don't go melting castles right there. <laughs> don't go, go melting yeah. castles, That's exactly y'all. what I have in my head now. <laughs> so I just had to point that out, that you said that. And like, see, this is a good example of what we just said. When you think of the fire, you got to think of the water. <laughs> <laughs> we we had a, a fun time playing with the idea of... of the Hellhold, one of the castles that was also burned by uh, Vagar and Balerion, and there, the sand around the Hellhold was fused into glass in some places because the heat was so intense. And Hellhold's already potentially the hottest place in Westeros. It's well, it's called the Hellhold. That gives you one clue. It's in the deep <laughs> desert, and it's gotten next to a sulfurous river. And all the Ullers are said to be mad. By the way, Ilaria Sand is an Uller, and so that means little. Uh, Lady Lance there is an Uller as well. <laughs> so You know what? Hell that? Holt is also what they say when Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine said something a little, a little weird. <laughs> Hell Holt? Yeah. Good point. Speaking of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the most recent episode had two references to and Game of Thrones. one of them was a massive spoiler. Like, if you are not watching the Game of Thrones TV show and somehow not spoiled on the TV show, do not watch this season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because yeah. it was really big. Like, I know it was a year or two ago, like a year and a half ago, it but it was the most six recent. spoiler. Anyways, yeah, it's yeah. just whatever. I uh, <laughs> definitely want to give that warning. So warning. yeah, and that's uh, yeah, that's a whole other topic. How many spoilers are out there just in regular other TV yeah. shows? <laughs> we have also the uh, so going continuing with the Ullers. This is this is really kind of a funny concept. Talk about getting into the details. Talk about getting into the real logistics here. The questions that everybody really needs to know the answer for. Mm-hmm. Meraxes was killed with a bolt to the eye. We're going to get back to how dragons can be killed a little later. There's some other questions in that regard. But Meraxes' skull was returned to uh, the Red Keep. The bones were left there, and we, we, we hear reference to people seeing those bones from time to time. They're apparently still there. However, what about the rest of the body? The Ullers seem crazy enough to be like, huh, should we eat that? <laughs> hey, Aziz, dragon's more of a meal for royalty, not peasants, okay? Show me dragons. You know. Yes. Maybe dragonflies they would eat. Well, we're really dragonflies. We were really hitting all the <laughs> yes. different... We, 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 we just mentioned, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. We got Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We got TLC. the office shirt on. Yeah, we got about, TLC. Yes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> TLC. Uh, but <laughs> um, no, I, I, I do feel like dragons are probably... Gonna make you sick if you eat them? Yeah. Okay, so we know that what happens when you stab a dragon, their blood is, like, really toxic. It, like, smokes and and burns through things. And 
Boy, that really gives you. Uh, so I don't know if it. I don't know if it is edible, but I, but the allers they might try. Just cook it really long time. Cook it for a while. Like seriously, who's ever eaten a dragon? There's all these dead dragons all over the place. Scott earlier asked us about what happened to their bones, but I want to know about the more immediate thing. What happened to their flesh? What happened? Those scales. Those scales would are probably pretty cool. Like like collect them and make a cloak out of them. Yeah. We hear the shepherd's followers took shreds of Tyraxes' wings and make cloaks out of them. And Tyraxes was a really young dragon. Meraxes was old and silver and gold or gold uh, with silver scales and golden eyes. Well, golden eye after that bolt. <laughs> Ooh, Goldeneye. So now we reference James Bond as well. Yes. So yeah, so who, who's got dragon recipes for us? We need to cook dragons and eat them and then die from eating them probably. That would be a great like red wedding twist type thing or like a, a giant poisoned dragon feast. You feed them all dragon. <laughs> they didn't know it was going to kill them. It was the unintentional red wedding. Yeah. The dread wedding. Someone, your, your rice Tosh says dragon blood would make great hot sauce. Oh, yeah, look. And you know those Dornish love <laughs> spicy <a> food. <laughs> so that's another reason why I think they tried this. You know they, you know they took a shot. <laughs> Rebecca Santa Super Chat says, Abea? Ashea is the best and her hair is beautiful. That that's is true and that is true. Those are both true. What's that? That's what people say. Abea. Abea. You know, like bay. Yeah, Abea. That's true. That's true. And Tommy Pappas says, no question, just love, no need to read this out loud. Well, he will anyways. Thanks, Aziz Ashea. Well, we're going to, yeah, we will anyway. Thanks, Tommy. You sent some other questions earlier, so we're reading those too. Mm -hmm. um, question from Rodney Carrico were the first dragons to be ridden from Ashai I would say sort of I'm guessing the Ashai were the first to tame dragons whether or not Ashai was the center of that old empire I think it probably was but maybe they had tamed dragons before Ashai was built maybe there was yeah. like another smaller city that no longer exists where this stuff first happened mm -hmm. and it was the fact that they own dragons is what enabled them to become so big and powerful and build a big city like Ashai. Hmm. Maybe. Because, you know, Valyria wasn't built in a day either, right? So It was. Oh, it was? Well, that's yeah. news to me. Well, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know that. It was, it's written <laughs> in the books. You'll see the font. You'll look it up there. LML says, dragons have empathy for dragons, but not people. People are food. Yeah, I see. I wonder about that. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing, too, as far as dragons and the personality stuff, which we want to get into. Um, why, not we do, why not do that now for a minute? The, the, the talk about dragons and their personalities and how that reflects with their humans. It does seem to be, this is where the dog thing really comes out with humans, but also falls short of skin changing. There's a lot of cases where dragons are kind of snapping at each other, not liking each other because the humans hate each other. And then those same humans, uh, then that same dragon, you know, changes sides and the dragon no longer has a problem with the dragon mm. he was hissing at. There's several examples kind of like that. I think... One of the best examples is uh, is Vagar. Vagar was on the black side and switched to the green side after uh, Lena's death, and Aemond grabbed him. So, yeah. And speaking of, here's some art of uh, Vagar by Naomi makes art on the left side, Visenya and Vagar, and Senrixian on the right side. And you'll notice the difference in colors, and that's for very good reason, Aziz. Very good reason. This is a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine that we don't know what color Vagar is. It's a little silly. <laughs> but, it, but Vagar is described as hoary. Hoary, but that's usually a description for age, meaning gone white with age. Like there's, there's northerners with hoary, hoarfrost beards, which is meant to describe their beards have gone white because of their age. Hoary doesn't mean white. Specifically, it means white with age. 
So at first we thought maybe that meant that Vagar was white. That's the best theory we have right now. Yes. But it is no nowhere sure a sure thing. And part of the reason it's a pet peeve for mine is because we've gotten to ask George questions before. <laughs> and I asked him. And he said, I'm pretty sure I've revealed that. Yeah. And of course I can't go, you don't know who you're talking to, George. I'm Aziz. I looked this up. Obviously I'm not going to say that. No. That's ridiculous. But I obviously had looked that up and thought about it a lot. <laughs> so I turned over every scale I could to figure that out. And other people have as well. And we just do not have an answer. So... <laughs> We don't know. One of the reasons I want him to be white or not is is that him, her, um, you mean? Her, yeah, them? want her to be white is because we don't have a white dragon. That would be cool. That would be the only white dragon we have, and that would be kind of neat. Mm. Also, it would give us a parallel to Viserion, who is kind of cream colored but kind of white, you know? Oh, yeah, anyway. yeah. I can see but that. But that's not really that, not a big not parallel. A big, isn't, yeah, that's whatever. So I'll pull up a few more Balerian facts, and Ashea's got a cool, another related piece of Balerian art here. Yes, I do. Here is Balerian by lovely Sanrixian. Again, you can have these stickers yourself. Now, one of the cool things that Balerian did, Aegon the Conqueror showed us one of the effective ways a dragon is used is by going really high in the air. Go really high in the air, and then come down hard and fast. That's what he did at Heron Hall. It's the only way to come down. <laughs> Basically, and he waited for dusk. That's interesting too. The timing of his attack on Heron Hall. I wonder if that's a lesson that Danny will pick up somewhere. When the light is changing from dusk to dawn, it's hard to see as anyone who's tried to look at the sunset knows. And that, of course, Balerion being a black dragon might be relevant here to the being hard to see, but that applies perfectly to Daenerys. Mm -hmm. By the way, I want to point out, um, people talking about Vagar's coloring here in the chat. Um, a couple of things there where LML talks about how Vagar turned the moon red, supposedly. Yeah, that's right. And the hoary thing where, and, and if you notice in that art of, of Vagar by Sanrixian, she did a, a white with like a red bit to it. Yeah. And people point out that that would be a werewood coloring for Vagar. Um, uh, and oh, yeah. I just note, like, that they just bring up the similarity that, like, Visenya owned Dark Sister, and then eventually Dark Sister went to Blood Raven, and she owned Vagar. Anyways. There's a lot of, that's really good, but yeah. also it goes it goes even farther than that. I'm sure this is something LML is well aware of, but the God, the battle over the God's Eye, which is Vagar versus Caraxes, has a lot of final climactic others versus humans type feel to it, because Aemond has... A, a sapphire mm -hmm. eye <laughs> for one <laughs> the isle of faces is right nearby you've got two dragons locked in battle you might have like an this might be an undead dragon or an ice dragon which is another reason for vagar to be uh white mm -hmm. you know to kind of represent an ice dragon like that that's what lml says exactly right here in the chat as it so happens <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, were, as he's type was typing that you were saying it <laughs> same page also it would match my shirt but um <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but also you have uh vagar you know, they fall into the god's eye, and then you have the notion of, you know, a Valyrian steel blade being necessary to kill Aemon. Not necessarily necessary, but it being Dark Sister, of course, which was mentioned, that's really uh, relevant to this whole symbolic comparison. And beyond that, uh, if if Vagar is red, then it's a little weird to me that Caraxes and Vagar are both red and they're, you know, fighting together. I don't know. That's not that it's not weird. weird. It's a ma match. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess. But I, I, I definitely, I, I'm... 
on board with her idea of it being white and red. That looks really cool. Whether or not that's the right color, I love that dragon I I, I definitely (laughs) think I I like the idea of that. With all those teeth and claws and scales and and horns, it just looks so cool. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Good job, Sanri. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a uh, quick mid-roll break for a shout-out or two. Only a couple oh, this time. Oh, I just want to say, the Dark Fire Ice says, what about breakfast? Can one poach a dragon egg? <laughs> this. Anyways, I just really like the idea now of that. Now that is a meal for kings. Yes, that, that is. That is not a meal for peasants. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Cooked in, what, direwolf fat? I mean, yeah, let's make this squid butter. Yeah, you know, something like that. That's that is some kingly meals right there, kings and queenly meals. Yeah, let's do a little quick shout out. We've got our Blood Rider patrons who are providing. Yeah, I'm, I'm big sorry, support. I just this I'm was sorry. a really good joke from Ellen. He said, "Alyssa Farman poached three. That is good. That was worth. Yes. That, that was that was worth Two an thumbs up for yeah. me. <laughs> I agree. Uh, so yeah, Blood Rider patrons get. Two votes on every episode that uh, until The Winds of Winter comes out, and then they'll be still voting after that. But, uh, of course, there won't be as much topic voting when The winter comes, Winds of Winter comes out. We'll have so much to cover initially. And, of course, they also get shout-outs at the middle of every episode. Our Blood Rider patrons include Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel eric with a dragon bone hilt. Kohol Koei, called Sun Piercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow. So, see, Scott, <laughs> some people do have dragon bone weapons out the there. The Dothraki do. <laughs> the Dothraki do, yeah. And Kokavo the Tamer, wielder of the Wildfire Whip Gehenna. Let's just pretend it has a dragon bone handle today as well, just for uh, consistency's sake. I'm sure Kokavo won't mind having a fancy handle on his whip. Also, let's say thanks to our sellsword captains, Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Werewood Wanderers, to long lives, quick deaths, cold beer, and warm women. Dagron, marshal of the Axe, captain of the Red Tide, resistance is futile. Dagron, shout out to Dagron asking us about, uh, I believe that was you asking us about Expanse coverage. Unfortunately, we just don't have time to cover the Expanse. But we do recommend everybody read the Expanse, watch the the Expanse. Expanse, Watch the Expanse. It's all on Amazon Prime now, the first three seasons, the fourth season. And we have a new book coming out next month, like Mm -hmm. March 26th. Book eight of nine. Yeah, book eight of nine. So we're really getting there and they really get them out quickly. Um, We did cover season two of the Expanse of the show. If you haven't checked that out, uh, just worth that but uh on our show fando media yeah i really really wish we had time to cover the expanse it really deserves it Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you guys want to talk to us about the expanse join the facebook group and when the show's in season we will be talking about it follow us on twitter we'll talk about it there i'll tell you if you cover the expanse i will happily appear on your show i just don't want to do any audio editing (laughs) so i will appear on anyone's show if it's about the expanse right on so uh yeah good segue there Definitely check out The Expanse if you haven't already, folks. We continue to talk about it, continue to, uh, we won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Kyron Carlsbane is captain of the Stone Shields. The torrent breaks upon the stone. Hayma Helminth is captain of the Whispering Children. Dead men tell no secrets. Shepard, the shepherd of Essos. All men are sheep before the shepherd. Heir to the Whispering Children. Lady Lajara Dajo is the Iron Lily, master archer, uh, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, our burial point, captain of the all-female Wailing Widows, women and children first. Cody the Crimson is Bastard of Bracken, captain of the Red Waste Exiles, and recruiter of the Free Folk. Funny story about Cody. He is, of course, captain, he, he does say Bastard of Bracken in part of his title, and in our Facebook group, I keep bringing the Facebook group up, I, I swear this is not, not intentional, but it just keeps coming up on its own. We, uh, we had a poll by our friend Randy Magruder who posted, uh, pick three, name your favorite houses. Of course, Facebook polls you're allowed to pick more than one. He limited it to three because, you know, a lot of us could get out of control picking 12 houses. Where do you stop with naming your favorite houses, right? I added Bracken to the list because no one had. And just as a joke to say, hey, 
just to sh just just to show how more popular Blackwood is than Bracken. And indeed, Cody, the only person to vote for House Bracken <laughs> in the entire group, whereas Blackwood got just you know uh. dozens and dozens of votes, if not uh, they may have gotten to a hundred votes even. But <laughs> but uh, that's uh, that's not going to move Cody. He's going to stay loyal. That's how he is. Cameron the Hammer of Hornwood is captain of the English Lions with the motto, Honor is the Reward of Virtue. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is captain of the Shadow Wolves. Our steel is cold, our vengeance colder. Black Alex Sand is the Bastard of Spears, leader of the Bermuda Vanguard. And Al Iskander of Yeeti is captain of the Blazing Sabres. Do not go gently into this long night. All right. Uh, as always, you can join Patreon by going to historyofwesteros.com and clicking on the Patreon link. You can also just do a straight donation if you don't want to use Patreon. Or a gay donation. <laughs> or a bi donation. Yeah, yeah anywhere. Any, any spectrum of donation yeah, is whatever. totally fine. <laughs> and we will, uh, we can give you in return for donations, we can give you some of our patrons only episodes uh, and or shout outs and other bonuses like that. So just go to historyofwesteros.com for that and a variety of other ways to support the show. <laughs> okay. Got a lot more good questions to go and a lot more good factoids that I pull up. I want to start. Art. Oh, yeah, and a lot more good art, too. You're right. Okay. Well, one, I'm going to start with one. I don't think we have art of this one, mm -hmm. but I want to start I with wish our. wish we did. I know. It'd be really cool. I'm going to start with our Parallel Lives edition. Now, this, these Parallel Lives are fun as, as uh, for, for me, they're fun for most of you guys, as far as we know from your feedback. And we are going to, as I've said, have full episodes that are focused on just these parallel lives, these comparisons, uh, near the end of our Fire and Blood coverage, um, right before season eight. This one, because we're covering dragons, it's not as sneaky as it could be. But if, if we weren't covering dragons, this one's uh, a really good one to stump your friends on. Golden, beautiful, deadly, armored like the sun. Hear him roar. <laughs> Severely maimed. Wrongly believed to be out of action permanently. Killed the highest ranking royal. House Sigil is an animal, also golden. So, armored like the sun, golden, beautiful, deadly. That sounds like, and then you hear the maimed part. So, you know, you know you're thinking Jamie Lannister there, right? But all of those apply to Sunfire, the golden, the dragon. And the parallels to, to Jamie don't stop there. Obviously, the maiming is pretty cool, right? Sunfire lost a... Well, it's cool. It's cool to be maimed. No, but the, the comparison, I mean, obviously, the Sunfire had a, a wing so badly damaged they didn't think he would ever fly again. Just like Jamie, no one thought Jamie would ever fight again. <laughs> Jamie did is fighting again. He's not a great fighter, and he's <laughs> mocked for it. And we have Mushroom mocking Sunfire for being like a fire-breathing chicken. Golden Lion, Golden Dragon... Killed the highest ranking royal. In this case, Sunfire killed Rhaenyra, who was the highest ranking royal of the Black faction. And of course, the Kingslayer. I mean, don't need to sell you on that one. You know what happened there. Kingslayer and King Belayer. Uh, someone else made that joke. Good one, good one. I like that. And uh, we have a couple other ones. What else is it foreshadow? Late in the story, Sunfire finds his way back to Dragonstone. To me, if the parallel holds... That could mean that Jamie finds his way back to Casterly Rock near the end of the story before he dies. And I've, we've already talked about that in previous streams about the possibility that Cersei will escape King's Landing and be hole up in Casterly Rock, becoming the new Queen of the West, uh, just by default because it's going to be so hard to deal with her in Casterly Rock. Jamie and Cersei dying together at Casterly Rock 
would be quite a parallel to Rhaenyra and Sunfire dying at Dragonstone. Especially because Rhaenyra is such a great Cersei parallel. Another parallel here, this is the thing I, I referenced earlier with regard to Rodney's question regarding Grey Ghost and being shy. I had a Twitter conversation with our friend uh, and artist Azad, who mentioned that he had been thinking about this parallel a bit as well. And the fact that he was looking at Sunfire's attack on Grey Ghost, which is puzzling, by the way. How did Grey Ghost get surprised by Sunfire? Because Sunfire is not good at flying, and Grey Ghost is shy and stays away. So, yeah, so that's a little curious, right? His idea, and I like it, is that this might relate to Theon Greyjoy. Some sort of future incident with Jaime and Theon. I don't know exactly what that could be. It could be, you know, a surprise that Jamie might be able to defeat Theon in hand-to-hand -hand combat. I don't know why they would fight, but let's just assume that a lot of things could change between now and whenever such a scene would happen, and it would make sense. It's a theory. I don't know. I'm not sure that Theon will survive long enough for that. I'm not sure Jamie will go north uh, in the books, but it's, it's worth considering. It's a valid theory. We'll just have to see. That's a pretty cool comparison. I love that. Jamie and Sunfire. Okay. I like that you're, you're complimenting yourself. <laughs> That's a pretty cool comparison. Good job, I'm, com I, I'm complimenting George. Okay. okay. <laughs> Only myself a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's really neat, I think. And, and it kind of fits Sunfire's decline from being maimed to being maimed again to just dying. It kind of fits with how George handles a lot of really good-looking characters. Loras is a similar character who's also on Dragonstone, slowly dying of, of, of a variety of wounds. So Loras is kind of a lesser parallel here, especially because he's kind of, he's not golden, but he's uh, he's beautiful, <laughs> right? Or he was. <laughs> so it does fit pretty well uh, for a couple of characters, not just uh, not just Jamie. And that's how these things are supposed to go, right? We've we pointed out a million times that it's not all about one-to-one -one comparisons with these parallels. They They don't work like that. That would be... Well, that wouldn't be that original then. <clears throat> it would also be too easy. Here's a fun question for us, for both of us. Uh, Mo Terry McDonald asks, what dragon would you like to ride? Mm. Before Fire and Blood, I would have said Balerion, but after Balerion and Araya, I'm like, nah. I um, like Dreamfire. Mm, you know, I was thinking Dreamfire too. Or I like Morning's Colors. Yeah, I think maybe... I, th I, I think like the I pretty dragons, for sure. Yeah, Tessarian is one of my picks, but I think I'll go with the other queen. I said the blue queen, I think I'm going to go with Melis. Oh, yeah? Yeah, one of the things we learned about Melis doing research today that I wasn't quite clear on is Melis is, like, a really outstanding specimen. Melis was... Great opportunity for me to put up art by Sanrixian of Melis the Red Queen and Tessarian the Blue Queen. Boom! No, I didn't even know I was setting that up so well. Yes. <laughs> And yeah, so they're called queens like that because presumably because they laid eggs, um, because of course this whole gender question is not settled. Yeah, that them. is that is what we tend to assume about that for yes. sure. And they're yeah because they both have known to, to lay eggs, also because of their the way their uh, horns look, which is they both have copper sort of shiny metal horns that make it look like they're crowned. Uh, so it's not just the egg laying, but that's part of it. But none of the, I'll note that none of the dragons are called king. <laughs> well, none of the, uh, well, the Targaryens are, but none of the, none of the literal dragons. And so that's, uh, that's kind of interesting. But Melis is known to be the fastest. The dragon keepers were like, they, they, they recommended Melis to Alyssa, the one we compared to Tyrion, because Alyssa's life was very short, so she didn't have Melis very long, and then... Rainey's the queen who never was, came along and had mm. Melis for a long time, like 40-some years. 
So, uh, yeah, so she's described as scales of scarlet, pink wing membranes, crest horns, and claws of copper. And it says the dragon keepers had not been wrong. Melis was as swift a dragon as Westeros had ever seen, easily outpacing Caraxes and Vagar when she and her brothers flew together. I remember what I said before about them all hanging out and chilling together. Vagar and, and Melis were friends, but Vagar killed Melis later. Uh, so, whoops. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no loyalty amongst dragons. <laughs> And also, Melis was one of the oldest dragons. Melis went unridden for quite a while before Alyssa claimed her. Uh, so probably uh, in her 80s when she died during the dance, which is one of the oldest ones. Vermithor would have been older um, and maybe Silverwing, but maybe not. Mm. There's a lot of other dragons to go through. I wanted to go through several of the dragons, kind of individually describe them and kind of make them uh, unique. But we also have more questions to cover. What about warging into a dragon? What about that concept? We talked about how the dragon bond is close to warging, but not quite. But that doesn't answer the question of whether someone with powerful warging abilities, skin-changing skills like Bran or even uh, Bloodraven, can they do that? Well, obviously, we don't know till we see it. But I think that's going to come up. I, I, it's hard to imagine that Bran can get into all these different animals and control them, and maybe even control them more than Bloodraven thinks he can. Bloodraven might not realize the extent of Bran's powers. So if he can get inside a human and control them, which I don't think that they knew he could do that, at least not well, then why not a dragon? It's gonna come up. He may try it and fail. He may try it and succeed. I don't know. But I do think it's gonna come up, and I'm very curious to see how it happens. I feel like Bran is gonna get sort of be able to control a dragon. I feel like he's not gonna totally fail, but I'm really just totally guessing. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? On warging dragons? Yeah. It's a tough question, huh? I think it's going to come up for sure. Yeah. But no, I mean, I could easily see him like, he tries to work the dragon and it works for a minute and then the dragon just like pushes him out, you know, or something mm. like that. Maybe but the magic inside But you only need a second to, yeah. to, to maybe make so a difference or something like that. Like if he manages to work into the dragon and then the dragon like bucks off the rider, you mm. know, whatever. Like he could maybe do still, he could still do something significant even if the dragon didn't let him stay in there. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, I feel like they can't, it can't possibly be as easy to work. Yeah, you know, yeah, like it yeah. has to be a lot harder. Like if you think, consider the trouble he had with like Hodor. If you picture it on that level, maybe. And in the yeah, and then and of course we have that old Valyrian prophecy of, of staying away, or just the whole of staying away from Westeros, and maybe that was why because they didn't want uh, their dragons to be stolen from them by green seers or children <laughs> or what have you. Uh, of course, on the other hand, that may just be relating to the notion that the dragons, uh, that rather that the others are going to come, and might the prophecy might just refer to them. So these, you know, these prophecies tend to cover a lot of bases at once sometimes. Another good example of a question where we kind of take the inverse and examine it from Briannis Perulis, who says, do dragons have dreams? Uh, that's a cool question, because obviously we have dragon dreams, but those are human dreams. I would guess so. I mean... George is Do taking... dragons dream of electric sheep? <laughs> dragons... They dream of sheep, for sure. Yeah, I don't know about electric. Yeah, yeah definitely burning sheep. Burning sheep, yeah. Yes, burning, burning sheep. Burning delicious. That's, that's, that's dreaming of food, basically. <laughs> I mean, cats and dogs have dreams. And George yeah. is going out of his way. I mean, not out of his way, but he likes to add, like, these cool fantasy details to them. And dream animals dreaming is already a real thing. So I would assume yes, because it just sounds cool and it's a real thing. So... But what would they dream of? And could their dreams have magic involved? That's kind of neat. Maybe they can dream of their owner. Maybe they can dream of 
what it was like to be an egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question from Fred Targaryen's Uncle Daddy. Who do you think, who do you guys think is the best slash rider, rider slash dragon pair in a one-on-one -on -one battle? It's well, it's pretty hard question. to beat Aegon, isn't it? I guess. I mean, Valerian's pretty badass, but we don't really know much about, like, Aegon himself in, like, combat. We know he didn't fly Drogon, I mean, Valerian very often. He didn't, yeah. he didn't do it for fun. Yeah. Rhaenys so, like, did. I mean, you gotta, you think if Valerian just has the size on him, but I, 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 I don't know. I'm really not sure about, we really don't have any proof of... Aegon and Balerion together being particularly badass. A better fit might be like Megor and Balerion or something. It, it might like, have it been. Might, the answer might be Balerion, but maybe it isn't Aegon. Yeah. Is my thought. It might have been Melis because the, one of the things that I didn't really realize about Melis, we were talking about how fast she was, but also just how dangerous she was. The the way it's written, Aegon II was in big trouble going one-on-one -on -one Melis versus Sunfire. Sunfire was smaller, less experienced. Melis was, was, was particularly athletic, much bigger. And and Rainey's vastly more experienced riding her dragon than Aegon the Second, but Vagar it was a two on one. <laughs> so like, what chance did did she have just in in that situation? And maybe Melis could have beaten Vagar not without taking a mortal wound herself. But I think that that's strongly implied if it, if that had been a one on one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Melis out as, as a as a okay. uh, as a possibility. I don't know. I'm not like super confident. Vermithor obviously is a pretty big dragon, but Vermithor. Lost, didn't lose, but got got shredded fighting sea smoke. Was much smaller and uh, didn't didn't seem to have some huge advantage there. They both died, just like all these other dragons. Hmm. Question yeah. from uh, Alaskander again. I noticed that when Aemond first mounted Vagar, Vagar seems to have formed an immediate bond with him. Since after landing, he responded to Aemond getting his eye cut by roaring. Do you think that a riding a dragon can create a mental bond that quickly, or is this a rare case? Also, could Vagar have been easier to bond since having a former rider? Well, that last part's definitely true. We know that's, I think that's explicitly stated that previous dragons are easier to bond with. Once they've had one, it's, uh, it's they're more likely to take a second or third, obviously not at the same time. And that same thing is said about skin changing. Uh, a wolf that has had uh, a previous master or, or the, the ravens in particular mentioned that way are easier to bond with. We have a joke here. Yeah, I was, because you, you were talking about dragons dreaming they were eggs, you know? I <laughs> said, old, I dreamed I was egg. Oh, God. Anyways, that just, that just really cracked me up. How did that, how could someone make that scene funny? I don't know. I, don't, yeah, I didn't but... think that was possible, but it, it's been done. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question by Scott there. I wonder if, if the bond can be created that quickly. It's, the bond was created that quickly, so I guess it has to be. Because Eamon immediately flew... Vagar three times around Driftmark. It immediately yeah. got on. Vagar roared, snapped his chains, and that was that. So maybe when when Scott's asking the question, could he have been easier to bond? Maybe we should take that a step farther and say Vagar is the, among the easiest to bond. Vagar had the <laughs> most riders of any dragon. Yeah. Right. Balerion had what two, not counting Aria, besides mm -hmm. whoever was before. There were there would have been more before Aegon, like Aegon's yeah. father probably. Yeah. But but we don't know the number there, and uh, no. for all we know, he sat riderless for quite a while, like mm -hmm. Vermithor did. Vermithor was unridden for like twenty five years or something like that. So, I think that's that's a pretty good theory that Vagar has because Vagar was bonded to probably like five. I, I would need to sit down and count it, but a lot of riders, more than any other that we know of. So that that could absolutely that's a great theory for why it was so easy that time. Mm. Um, as far as other things about where dragons live and behave. Here's uh, some some notes we took on on how they live. 
They, of course, like to... We have a quote here. Moreover, six other dragons made their lairs in the smoky caverns of the Dragonmont above the castle. Uh, so I don't know that they live near the castle for any particular reason. I think it was just because of the volcano that the castle was near. But it's possible they, some of the dragons have become more used to humans and they rely on humans for being fed. The wild dragons obviously are a different matter, but we, we see that. Lots of animals that live in the wild but near to humans recognize humans as a potential source of food. Like, hey, we used ducks earlier. <laughs> <laughs> ducks will swim up to people at a park, we, like, oh, give us food. We have a raccoon that lives out back of our house that we see on occasion that will come and get the cat food we leave out for our outdoor cat, who also just adopted us as it so happens. Perfect. So, yes. Perfect example, yeah. So, <laughs> animals are creatures of habit, and they see if they see something working, they keep doing it. Like, hey, these dudes are giving me food. I'm going to keep coming here. <laughs> so I think that might be part of their, their uh, they like living where the food is, but they also want to live, you know, in a comfy cave with, with heat. <laughs> <laughs> but also it says, and behind the mountain dwelt three wild dragons never claimed nor ridden by any man living or dead. So the three wild dragons on the other side of the mountain, this is again the eastern side of Dragonstone. That, of course, is is uh, the cannibal and gray ghost and uh, sheep stealer, of course. Another question here from uh, Stephen Puttick. It took Drogo's pyre and blood magic to get Danny's dragons to hatch. Nice pun there. So would it follow that a wild dragon would breathe fire over the eggs that it had laid for them to be born? Or is it a controlling thing from when dragons were, from when dragons were first bred that simply laying the eggs doesn't mean they will hatch, but needs a few other things to hatch them, e.g. fire and blood? So... I think no. Um, I don't think the wild dragons, as we've seen, as we discussed earlier with regards to dragons sitting on eggs, which we have no evidence of, the dragons don't seem to care about the eggs once they're laid. So I don't think they have any sort of instinct to, to heat them up uh, or to put them uh, or to do anything to them. If they're reptilian in nature in that regard, they might bury the eggs in a place that makes sense, like a heat spot. Like they might put the eggs near of the volcano nearer than their own lair. They might do something like that because that is at least one thing reptiles do is they bury their eggs in safe places, at least like near the sea or mm -hmm. near a swamp or whatever, uh, in a place where it's harder for predator to get at them. So at least have that instinct. So maybe that's in play with dragons as well, but we just don't have any evidence of it. A funny question I have is and we're getting into the deep logistics of how dragons exist. Earlier we talked about how Balerian had stopped growing but it's, it's said that as long as dragons have food, they'll keep growing. Well, speaking of food, the expense, goodness, the expense of feeding a dragon. We hear, we have this <laughs> quote of, from, uh, from Vermithor where, where, uh, not from Vermithor, read about Vermithor where Jaehaerys is kind of trying to scare Rogar into realizing that, hey, you know, I don't need to take any hostages. I have Vermithor. Just remember. And he shows him Vermithor that's in that, during that scene. And Vermithor is eating a bowl for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> An entire bowl for breakfast. I mean, dang. A sheep stealer. Think, of, like, think about how horses are like a rich person's pet or a farm person's pet. But regardless, more often in today, they're a rich person's pet because you have to store, you have to have a place to store them. You have to be able to feed these things. Like, yeah. it's a huge hassle. It's the same thing with dragons, but times like a hundred probably. Yeah, just the feeding <laughs> bill of these things yeah. is absurd. But yeah, again, like, but I mean, you also just like, they have to live somewhere. You have to have the space for your dragon. Yeah, right? Jeez, the space is... I mean, and they tried to build the dragon pit for to space that out, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a big expense, uh, dragons, indeed. 
Now, uh, Nina Friel asks, what do you think motivated Syrax to fight and ultimately die in King's Landing instead of flying back to the Red Keep, where Rhaenyra was, or somewhere else, like Silverwing flew to Red Lake after Tumbleton? Why didn't Syrax do something like that? An instinct to, to be drawn to blood, noise, and fire, perhaps, which is suggested in the text? Or Syrax embodying Rhaenyra's desire to stop the uprising in the capital, or something else? So here we get back to some of these questions about dragon-human communication and the nature of the bond. Not the forming of the bond, but the bond once it's in place. That's an important distinction. Okay, so let's talk about this this incident a little bit, because it, it contains another bit of, of uh, dragon lore, and uh, we'll also get a little background on Syrax. So, Syrax is huge and formidable, which is unfortunate for Rhaenyra that she never took her into battle. Rhaenyra never fought uh, in war. And it probably would have helped, because Syrax being huge and formidable, then there you go. And like many dragons, Syrax is named after a goddess of old Valyria. We're told the same thing is true after Valerian, Maraxes, and Vagar. And given some of these names are pretty similar, like I don't think Sunfire was named after a Valyrian no. god, but Tyraxes, yeah, along with you know that yeah. for example, that Caraxes perhaps, right? Caraxes, Tyraxes, exactly. Some uh, of those, Melis, um, maybe, maybe, yeah. Some of these. Valyrian sounding names have potential to be gods. And that makes sense because the dragons are pretty godlike, right? And, and I'm going to follow that up with someone else's question about the nature of these names and the Valyrian gods. So we're going to have fun with that in just a minute too. But first of all, let's finish off Syrax, who also, by the way... Which eventually Syrax was, was finished, finished off. off yeah. uh. Several clutches of eggs for her as well. So she's the one... Our only example of a of a rider hopping on a dragon that isn't theirs. Beside when the rider's not present. We do have the first example in Fire and Blood of someone else riding on someone's dragon, at least explicitly. It's 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 implied that it may have happened before. But for example, when Jaharis and Alisand flew to Old Town, they had a a, a a guard with them. Each of them had a guard on the dragon with them. And that's, but there's no, but there's no mechanism mentioned like, what kind of saddle did they have? What was up with that? <laughs> did they have whips? Did they have any of that stuff? Because the whips are mentioned elsewhere uh, for battle. But man, I, I I don't think George can avoid these topics in A Song of Ice and Fire, especially with Tyrion talking about saddles for Bran and things like that. That's long mm -hmm. been a theory that Tyrion's going to make sa dragon saddles. And right now, Daenerys is just riding on a dragon's back. There's nothing. He's just, he's just like holding on, like, oh my god, I might just fall right off. Yeah. So George is going to have to get into some of that, and, and I'm a little surprised he didn't get into it in here because this is part of so much of Fire and Blood is expanding on these topics that are coming and mm -hmm. foreshadowing them, and he just completely seemed to have avoided the topic while getting near it yeah. uh, during Fire and Blood. So this is very curious to me. It really stood out. It's, I just always crack up at the idea of someone just. He's just holding Michael Clarfeld, you know, Clarinox, he's doing um, dragon art for his Dorn map of um, Rhaenys on Meraxes, right? And, like, yeah. showing me, like, the sketches of it, and it just, like, he doesn't have the saddle on it yet, and, like, just, like, the spread legs on the jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, just, riding up on the neck, or... It's just, like, like yeah. where do you sit? Like, what do you... How do you reach? And just, like, it feels like it'd be so hot as well, and, like, uncomfortable. I don't know. Yes. It's very <laughs> hard for me to imagine riding a dragon without... A, a long, period. Let alone without a saddle. Yeah, it's, it doesn't harness, seem to be an something. easy thing. <laughs> so... Getting back to the question, as far as what motivated Syrax. So what happens is, to, to, to set the stage in case people don't remember the exact details of this scene, Joffrey, 
jumps on Syrax's back. And now Joffrey falling to his death as the thirdborn of Rhaenyra, who's a Cersei's parallel. Mm, mm. Uh, okay, a <laughs> little, little segue there, but let's jump back to the main topic. Syrax <laughs> doesn't like Joffrey being on him, or her, so she's shaking, she shakes him off, I guess. We're, we're told that's what happens. And of course, after all these discussions of how hard is it to hang on the back, <laughs> like maybe he just fell because it's hard to hold on to the back of a dragon. But no, we're told pretty explicitly that the dragon was was wanting him off. And Rainier makes a kind of puzzling comment, but uh, along the lines of he doesn't know, you know, well, well what does he doesn't know that, that yeah. the dragon's going to throw him? But it's, it's confusing. And she's... If she's just full of rage and frustration and fear for her son and the dragon is feeling that, it does make sense for why Syrax just goes suicidal there. Syrax, because that's what happens. Syrax, after the dragon pit collapses, after the shepherd's people flood the dragon pit and kill all those other dragons, Shrykos, Morgul, Tyraxes, and Dreamfire brings down the roof, Sunfire, or sorry, Syrax just flies over there and just attacks the crowd, just lands on them and just starts fighting on the ground like a crazy dragon. Like, just basically commits suicide by mob. And Rhaenyra's thoughts at that time were of extreme anguish, extreme pain, extreme despair. And that would explain a dragon going nuts like that. And it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense otherwise. One thing we compare it to is Danny again uh, in the pit. In Daznak's pit, the, we're told that Drogon kind of responded to the noise and the blood and all that. And, well, that is what was happening in King's Landing. Uh -huh. But uh, Drogon didn't go dive into the crowds. You know, he jumped, he went into the yeah, sand. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. It's uh, it's not enough of a one-to-one -one relationship, those two scenarios, for us to compare them. Mm. I like one one kind of really offbeat theory that doesn't really have anything to do with directly with Syrax is that the that uh, Basilisk's blood was added to the water supply in the city to make everyone go so crazy and storm the dragon pit like that. What else would make them so impervious to the uh, to so unthinking as to harm to themselves like that? But that's another topic, <laughs> something for people to think about. Um, okay, moving onward, we have a couple other questions. Um, let's talk about Caraxes for a minute. Cool. We've got some awesome art of Damon Targaryen and Caraxes by Naomi Makes Art right here. We're a really massive dragon. Yeah. Massive horns. Caraxes is uh, interesting in that he was called the Blood Worm, which also describes his coloring. Mm -hmm. He was known by the Dragon Keepers to be the fiercest of the young dragons, which is fitting for Prince Damon, who... He doesn't look so fierce in this art. Yeah, he he's like all sweet. lovey. He loves yeah. his dragon. <laughs> fiercest of the Targaryens of his age, Damon was, but he was not Caraxes' first rider, as we saw, as we pointed out earlier. And he got to ride... His first rider was Aemon, and Aemon got to take him... Got Caraxes' first experience in battle, which was Vermithor, Vagar, and Caraxes got to annihilate that Dornish invasion fleet under Prince Morion, a.k.a. Prince Moron. That was a good example of dragons just totally owning a fleet, which I wonder if that's coming. Because it's exactly three dragons taking out a fleet, you know? That's, anytime there's three dragons doing something, you gotta, you know, take a second look just in case it's a foreshadowing for something Danny's gonna do. On the other hand, Danny may not ever have all three of her dragons like as a concerted unit, given mm -hmm. all the attempts to steal them and other people yeah. with dragon blood. So we'll have to see about that. Great art there, as uh, Shea showed earlier. That was really cool. Great job by dra uh, by um, Naomi. Naomi makes art. Naomi yes. makes art, right? Um, next dragon. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about Vermithor. Vermithor is oh, pretty cool. We've got some cool art for this too. Because we've got 
This piece by Senrixian of Jaharis on Vermithor and Alisan on Silverwing right flying on. together. That's very cool. I love that one. That's a really yeah. good one. You can really see the Targaryens really well. You get that as a print at her shop, too. Yes. But yeah, it's nice. The idea of them flying together. Very just sweet. the way she does the clouds there is really good, too. Or is there, are those clouds? Just whatever yeah, the background yeah, is. I can't definitely. tell. It looks really good, that yeah, purple shade. Yeah, they're flying high. Baby. Again, I will remind people who, if you're listening to the podcast afterwards, not only can you get all the art by using the free Acast player, there's no, it doesn't try to sell you anything. We don't make any money off it. It's just a great way to be able to see images while you're listening to a podcast. But also, we tend to post the artwork either on our Facebook page and or on our webpage sometimes. So if you want to see these artworks... Uh, check them out. There's usually available in a variety of places from us. Mm-hmm. And if you ever have a question on where to find a certain piece, you can always yeah. ask us and we can direct you to the appropriate uh, artist and or store slash website, whatever you need to know. Mm-hmm. It is how we like to support the artists as much as we can. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, as far as Vermithor goes, it says, uh, at one point, of all the dragons in Westeros, only Vagar was older or larger, and that was, of course, during the Dance of the Dragons. And... Uh, there was a little time where Vagar was the or Vermithor was the oldest because Vagar died before Vermithor, but that didn't last very long. Quote, almost 100 years old and as large as the two young dragons put together, the bronze dragon with the great tan wings was in a rage as he took flight with blood smoking from a dozen wounds. The two young dragons put together in this case is uh, Sea Smoke and Tessarion. And that was, of course, Sea Smoke and Tessarion was our one example of dragons truly dancing, as we're told. But uh, Vermithor is a little bit of interesting uh, meta trivia on Vermithor. The uh, two dragons with similar names, Vermithor and Vermax. Vermax was the dragon ridden by Joceris. Uh, and Vermithor and Vermax are both versions of the name Vermithrax, uh, which is the dragon from the movie Dragon Slayer, which George is a fan of. So George gave a nod to. Vermithrax by naming a dragon Vermax and another dragon Vermithor. So that's cool. A little meta for you. Deep trivia cut for you on that one. Yeah. And as far as Vermithor's life, there's nothing, I don't think we learned anything new about Vermithor in terms of, you know, he was written by Jaehaerys, was kind of around for a while before Jaehaerys claimed him. Hammer was killed before he could ride him in that last battle and then Vermithor died fighting those two dragons. Hmm. Uh, well, shortly after. <laughs> Then we have, let's see, another dragon we haven't talked about too much is, um, let's, we, 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 we don't, we're going to, we talk about Dreamfire a little bit. We talked about Dreamfire before, but I think we, we covered her pretty well and, and covered the fact that she's blue and we don't have a uh, new Dreamfire for this one, do we? No, we do not. Okay, cool. Well, we also have Moondancer. Moondancer is pretty cool. Slender, pale, and green. Art, which nice. Which is a sketch from Sinrixian, but very we can cool. really see some of the colors. Yeah, it looks like very, very aquatic looking with the, this, the, the blue and mm. green. That looks neat. I like that. And uh, of course, Bela being uh, ma- eventually marrying Alan Valerian is kind of cool because the oh, that's uh, their colors. colors. <laughs> the blue greenish. So that's that fits pretty well. The quote is Moon Dancer was a young dragon, pale green with horns and crest and wing bones of pearl. So that's cool. Moon Dancer didn't see a lot of action. She was uh, killed. Um, fighting Sunfire, finishing off Sunfire. Sunfire himself died not long after. But Bela is one of the few people to survive such a situation. Of course, Aegon II did as well, but he jumped off his dragon. And uh, we talked earlier about dragon blood and how it's toxic and acidic. Well, it's one thing to get hit by dragon flame, but if you survive one of these crashes where all the dragons 
kill each other in midair or when they hit the ground. If you somehow survive the fall and the dragon flame, you've also got that dragon blood flying all over you. It probably, yeah, Bela probably had some very permanent injuries from that. One, another dragon we don't know the color of is Stormcloud. And I really wanted to know what color Stormcloud is because I want to know if it completes or fills out the Jon Snow egg on the third parallels. Mm, because, yeah. of course, Jon Snow egg on the third parallels thing I've talked about, we've talked about a lot. Is, Do you think do. Stormcloud should be white like Ghost? Maybe. Stormcloud could be white like Ghost or... Uh, black like the Night's Watch. <coughs> I don't, I'm not like, well, what color do you want it to be? Or green like Rhaegal. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah for that reason. Um, okay. But I like the idea. Storm, I mean, Stormcloud like doesn't like sound gray green. And white. It sounds like yeah. a gray white dragon, like a stormy dragon. It does. Color. So I think ghost color is a little more likely. Like white wouldn't be a Stormcloud color either. So yeah, like an yeah. off-white maybe, which wouldn't help the parallels. <laughs> so that one just might not be a... There's plenty of egg on the third Jon Snow parallels. That just might not be one of them. Let's see. Sheepstealer. A dragon hatched when the old king was still young. Had a taste for mutton, swooping down on shepherd's flocks from Driftmark to the Wendwater. Now, mm-hmm. Sheepstealer is a wonderful meta because Sheepstealer being fed mutton is also parallel to the original Valyrian shepherds, which I think we got some questions in the chat about that earlier. So uh, we're getting to them now. If the Valyrians originally tamed dragons by just getting, you know, the standard teaching, getting you close to animals by giving them things they want and getting them used to you, it fits perfectly. What what Nettles did with Sheepstealer may have been what the first Valyrian Shepherds did to tame dragons. Speaking of, we've got this art here by Michael Clarfeld, Claradox, of said scenario. Right on. Yeah, look at that. And notice there is nothing, um, there's there's no intercourse happening between humans and dragons in this photo. Or in this, in this <laughs> paint, rather, painting. Yes, it's, closer, it's off screen. Though, and yeah. you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> and uh, so I think it's really cool. George has put, George has managed to just jam pack so much meta, so much foreshadowing, so much information in the Sheep Stealer arc that it just, it's amazing. And one of the questions we got also was, what do we think happened to Sheepstealer and Nettles after the fact? Of course, we the questioner is aware. Uh, she mentioned that she knows that we get the story about what happens with the burned men and that Nettles apparently just went to live there and the clansmen nearby her were just so impressed that they, you know, worshipped her. She had to stay hidden and she didn't have money. Uh, she was wanted and uh, she didn't probably didn't like humanity all that much, given how it, it treated her. Mm. <laughs> she didn't seem to be like a person with a lot of friends. She seemed kind of like a loner in the first yeah. place. So I think that she was pretty content where she went. Um, uh, maybe not content, but didn't have other options. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that there's a whole lot else to say about her in that in, in regard to what happened the rest of her life. I think she lived out her life amongst the burn men. And it was a pretty clever way for George to give them their origin story. But I'm not sure that it, it has a lot of bearing to A Song of Ice and Fire going forward. Because I do think all the dragons are going to die before the end. So what happens to dragons after the fact is cool to think about. It's but it's ominous. also not foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> all the dragons are going to die. They're all going to die. <laughs> okay. Mm. Let's see. Other questions and other dragons we haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. I know we haven't talked about um, Quicksilver. Yes, we've not talked about Quicksilver too much. Quicksilver, unfortunately, had a all-too-quick run <sighs> in Westeros, given the uh, being forced to fight Balerion. That's just... <laughs> what? Come on, I gotta fight him? Come on, man, I don't want to do that. 
Yeah, Quicksilver. Uh, also Sanrexian. Like, very us, like cool. we said, you can get these on stickers. Yeah. We don't know much about Quicksilver as a dragon. Um, if he, he may have been a little more on the passive side. It's a good another, another example of very quick bonding, which we talked about earlier, because Aegon snuck into King's Landing and just got Quicksilver and left. They're, they sort of just, I don't know how they wrote that into their plan. Like, well, what happens if the dragon won't come with you? And they're just like, nah, just go for it, man. Just go get a dragon. <laughs> just go do it. And so that's, uh, I kind of, I would really like to see like a short story of the the, the, the sneaking into King's Landing, Aegon and Reyna. Reyna goes and gets a dream fire. He grabs, he grabs Quicksilver. But how? How does he do that? So I, I, that would be cool. But we don't, we just don't have much to go with on that. Another dragon, there's the small dragons we mentioned, Tyraxes, Shrikos, Morgul. We didn't get colors or, or appearances on them, so there's just not much we can say about them. They would have eventually been ridden by some of those other young Targaryens, like maybe Maelor or Jahera. Well, no, Jahera did have Dreamfire eventually. She just didn't uh, do a lot of riding. And, Morgul uh, is so familiar as a name to me, and I, I can't think of what it's from. I feel like it's from like Arthurian legend or yeah. Well, Morg yeah, Morgil is Morgil, the is the Morgil, cool. yeah. Morgil like, yeah, is, is uh, spelled like that, closer to that. But anyways, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a thing. And then there's more. Of course, there's also Valar Morgulis, which is yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that that's, that's too. true too. I, I actually that's maybe what I was thinking of more some more specifically in terms of just like an association with that word. Yeah, familiar wording and all that. Yeah, yeah. right on. That's, um, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, that makes me think that Morgul's name is like you know. Born to die. Yeah, <laughs> all like dragons die, must die. Death or something, <laughs> basically. So a, a, a smaller dragon topic that we are dying to discuss, but don't know where to go with it, is Alice Rivers' claim that she has a dragon. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Did Vagar lay eggs at Harrenhal that eventually hatched? Uh, that's possible. Uh, I don't know why they would hatch there, but it could explain it. Um, if not, where did she get a dragon? And maybe, I mean, maybe she's just lying. Maybe she's pulling a Melisandre because there are definitely some Alice Rivers Melisandre vibes. Maybe she's just got like a shadow dragon, <laughs> like a shadow baby dragon. I'm very curious about that, right? Mm. Like what is going to, we have to wait till Fire and Blood 2 to hear about that. So I, I yeah. guess that means it maybe isn't a foreshadowy thing because he's not giving us the answer in Fire and Blood 1. It may not come up. But it might be one of those things that relates to uh, a question that we're going to touch on now, which is, shouldn't there have been a lot more magic during that era if there were a lot of dragons? Yeah. If dragons are either responsible for the magic or a sign of how much magic there is mm -hmm. in the world, shouldn't there have been more magic? Well, Alice Rivers is a good example of <laughs> more magic in the world. She just blew some guy's head off. <laughs> like, what? Like, if you laugh, uh, my head's going to explode. Or I'm going to choke to death. No, that's, that's the choke to death one. If, my, if you laugh, I'm going to choke to death from a distance. Like, she's miles away. I don't... It's so over the top, the magic. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but... It's it, Magically Delicious says in the chat, Alice Rivers' dragon was in her belly. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, she said that she had the son. She said she had the kid, and then the 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 messenger said she has a dragon. I've seen it. Maybe she was just talking about his kid. Yeah, maybe yeah. the kid has dragon features. Maybe it's maybe it's a oh, living God. version of one of those abominations. Yeah, one that actually survived. Well, let's not go there. No, we should go uh -huh. there. Yeah, at Heron Hall, that would be the place for that to happen, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Creepy, creepy, blood magicy ancient spirits getting involved. By the way, just in case, I know we'll probably get people in the YouTube comments if we don't bring this up. Morgul also, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Yes. The uh, the blade. The blade, uh, Anyway, yes. so just, it's, uh, 
And we know George is heavily influenced yeah, by Lord exactly. of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I definitely would be familiar with that. In fact, that may be where he came up with Valor Morgulis, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe originally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Valor Morgulis and like the idea of... Anyways. Because he wrote that one. Not David J. Peterson mo- wrote most of the other language stuff. But, he, but, that's, but, but that's George Bravosi. came up with... Yeah. yeah he didn't um, write Bravo. There's no language for Bravosi, anyway. Uh, Wait, no, right? but no, Valor Morgulis is High Valyrian. Oh, yeah, you're right. They but say George in... still came up with it, and David J. Peterson had to work around the words that he'd already created and make the language work with there already being some. Gotcha. But yeah, it's you're definitely right. Valyrian, and you know that. Valyrian, it's Valyrian from, it's the, the Bravosi say it, but you're right. They got yeah. it from the Valyrians. You're right. All right. Um, okay, so something I mentioned we were going to talk about is comes from a question from Ursula the White-Breasted Raven, which is another example of us inverting the question. In this case... We're talking about the old gods, and we're going to see, we're going to turn, flip the script and say, here's the question. In the same way as the trees are slash were part of the godhood of the first men and the children of the forest, do you think that the early dragons were part of the godhood of Valyria or the early Valyrians? I love that question. And because the gods, the dragons are named after gods, yeah. it just slides right in there as a great theory. Uh, so let's explore this idea. Yeah, no, I definitely have always wondered about like, the, the Valyrian gods, and yeah. I've always thought that there's a strong chance that they were just in the shape of dragons. Yeah, why not, right? Maybe they're, maybe, okay, so there's two possibilities here that if they're not humans, and first yeah. of all, we know from the gods of the world of, of Essos and Planetos, there is a plenty of non-human gods. There are gods that have bird faces and fish aspect, and the black goat of Kohor is a Goat. Black goat. No, but you know. And there's, there's the a great lot. stallion. You know, there's all these animal gods. So why not? Yeah, if the early Valyrian shepherds became what they are today because of their bond with dragons, I could see that being, you know, along the lines of the harpy. I don't know if there's an actual harpy goddess, but yeah, maybe. And, and if we want to get really creepy, maybe they were half human, half dragon images, right? Like a like a dragon scaled person, like the old I don't know, like the Draconians from from Dragonlance series, which were <laughs> which were, by the way, dragon eggs done with magic put into them to make mm. them part human. Oh, okay. So that concept is, you know, kind of an existing fantasy concept, I suppose. So the idea being that if these were gods, these were sort of like half dragon, half human gods, well then the Targaryens were just trying to emulate they're gods by trying to copy that magic or to be like them and or to make themselves gods or try to become part of that godhood, which is what the children of the forest do to Bran by having him drink the probably Jojen paste <laughs> to make him be part of their godhood, which is, well, trees. <laughs> Not as exciting as dragons, but there's a ton of parallels there. That's probably something that more time needs to be spent on, more thought needs to be put into than... Um, the time we've been able to put into it on this question, because this that question came like yesterday, and I've been mm. it was it was definitely one of the questions that made me think the most. So many good questions, but that one was a, just really got my head spinning because it, it goes really deep. It's a great question there, Ursula the White-breasted Raven. Mm. Okay, got a couple more bits about skulls, and if anybody else has a question or two, now's the time to jump in because we're going to be wrapping it up in a few minutes here. This will be the first time we don't go way over two hours. We'll just go a little Yay, over two hours this time. my tailbone thanks you. Yeah, Zashaya has had a wounded tailbone for quite a while after falling down the steps, so sitting like here five, is a bit of a problem. five, six months now. It's yeah. been miserable. I'm sitting on like a, a thing, and it still hurts. So anyways. Yeah. Okay, so let's see here. Uh, my thing about skulls, we talked about bones at the beginning and skulls at the beginning, so I kind of wanted to make it a bookend. Uh, skulls are valuable. There's a lot of... S- 
stories of these skulls being used as symbols or as as money makers. And of course, it makes sense <laughs> in Westeros, right? People cut heads off and put them on pikes and be like, ah, this is how you this is how you show a defeated enemy. Now, a dragon head's a bit too big for that. Well, in the case of some of the small dragons killed at the dragon pit by the, sh- the shepherd's men, they in fact did just that, but they, they could actually carry the small heads. Melis' head was carried mm. by uh, some of the vic- by the victors of the Battle of Rook's Rest. Uh, Vermithor and Sea Smoke's heads were chopped off, the skin cleaned off, and the, the new lady of Tumbleton tried to help rebuild Tumbleton. All that insane damage done there by charging people money to look at the skulls and by charging them even more to touch the skulls. Pretty clever way to make a buck. Or a stag in this case, or a copper star. And uh, yeah, so like I said, the shepherd's done that thing. But not only did the shepherd put five dragon heads on spikes, but he preached from amongst those heads. So, ooh, isn't that kind of what we're doing right now? We're kind of preaching from amongst a bunch of dragon skulls and heads. And I see no dragon skulls or heads anywhere. I see dragon eggs right there. Oh yeah, we got a dragon egg over there. We got a little dragon egg cookie jar sitting just yeah, off screen. We, it's been in it's been in our our episodes before. <laughs> oh, Stephen Stark says, "Awesome stream," and asks us favorite dragon name. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah, mm. I don't know my I don't know exactly you know my favorite or the coolest one or anything like that. But I really do. I've always been fond of just the sound of Tessarian. Mm. I don't know. That's kind of cool. Tessarian is a good one. I don't yeah. know. I just like think it's a nice name. I like the name Kong Dragatess. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. I like For that too. I'm kind of partial to Syrax. It's just kind of cool. It's yeah, like simple it's not, and yeah. powerful. Yeah, and uh, we yeah. know for sure it's one of the gods or goddesses in this case. Yeah, yeah. You know, another dragon we didn't actually mention uh, was um, Morning. And yeah, Morning's name. We touched name. on a little bit. Yeah, we, we Morning didn't Morning is, is a nice name. In the context of A Song of Ice and Fire in the series, but it's yeah. still not what I would want my dragon to be named. No, I agree. It's not a great name. It's just, as I was thinking of the names, it occurred to me that, that we hadn't talked about her a whole lot. It's definitely not a goddess either, Morning, nor is Dreamfire or Sunfire. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I think I'll go, because you picked a star and I won't pick the same one. No, that would have actually have been a possible one for you to pick? Yes, Oh, absolutely. that's so interesting. I felt like people weren't going to agree, but I mean, that was my blog name on Tumblr for a while. It was even to <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, so did. I just have like a kind of a, a I, I particularly like that name. Yeah, I think I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Cyrax, with Vagar being close and Meraxes maybe being third. I like Meraxes okay. a lot. I like that that combo, Meraxes, Tyraxes. you have a least favorite Tyraxes. dragon name though? Least favorite dragon name? Yeah, uh, least favorite. Hmm. I don't know about least favorite myself. Probably. Sure. Mm. I've never been a big fan of Rhaegal, personally, actually. Oh, yeah, Rhaegal. Just because, like, it took me a long time to be like, Rhaegal, Rhaegal, because there's like a Rhaegal, you know, Targaryen, and there's Rhaegal the dragon. Yeah. So it's just like a weird difference to me. So I've actually hmm. never been a fan of, of Rhaegal. I'm not sure I have a least favorite. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah, but... Hmm. Actually, Drogon. Drogon. Drogon's yeah. really It just sounds just like Dragon. Drogon, yeah, Dragon. Drogon, Dragon. Just, yeah, Drogon, Dragon. Yeah. I realize the name, he's named after Drogo. Yeah, he's named after Drogo, obviously. but it is just Drogon the Dragon. Yeah, That's which true. is a little, yeah, it's a little, yeah. Eagle-y the eagle. And <laughs> Doggy the dog. Yeah, it's a little, a little too on the name. <laughs> yeah, you probably you are right. Nose. Drogon is the worst. On I the think. snout, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and dip into uh, our Patreon credits after pointing out that yes, also morning. I guess 
because she's pink is why the pink light of morning, I guess, yeah, is the, like the sunrise, idea there. With I guess. black horns and crest, it's kind of cool, like pink breaking yeah. through the black. I think it's kind of sad. Imagine if, like, she actually said the name was morning, like yeah. you're in oh, morning. Oh, you, yeah. And, like, Ooh. they just wrote it wrong. And she was just sad <laughs> just about everything, <laughs> all the death. She was sad for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a funny morning and morning. Um, oh, we got a super chat here from Marvin Martin. Queen horns copper and not black like rest of body. I suggest Fable of the Dragon Tyrant. Oh. Aria is proof that Jabba slash Leia sired the Targ line. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's a gross image. Oh, man. <laughs> what the, the the things that come up when we talk about breeding and <laughs> genetics and people and sheep and dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and now Jabba somehow got in there. Okay. Thank you to everyone who attended the stream. Thanks very much for the questions and super chats and support. Uh, you know what? Please like the, the video. Normally, I would be pretty mean here, and but I'm going to th- say thank you to everyone who didn't watch, too. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, but only thank you if you watched later. Otherwise, you're not going to know that we thanked you. And, and I still uh, thank them. I'm, okay. I'm going right. to be nice today. Okay. But she is very generous in that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, as far as what's coming up next, like I said, next week we're doing The Hour of the Wolf. We did The Hour of the Dragon, or Two Hours of the Dragon. Next week, Two Hours of the Hour of the Wolf. <laughs> and we'll be following that up, like I said, with the either the Sea Snake one or two weeks after that. And then getting into our parallel live streams and then Season 8 coverage. Yeah. So, uh, And of course, Blood Raven 3 is, is being worked on. And we've got a little surprise with Blood Raven 3. Uh, planned um, is that we have a guest producer. I may have already mentioned mm. who it was in a previous stream, so it may not be a surprise. <laughs> I think I did. Anyway, but. some people it'll be surprised too. And yeah, so thanks again to Ashea, of course. And uh, I just have to Michael say that we, did, we, did, we didn't actually answer Marvin Martin's question there. We kind of got distracted oh. with the Jabalaya thing. He's asked, why were they copper and not black? And well, I guess it's, uh, you know, genetics. It's like a question of asking, like, why is my cat's mustache white and not black? You know? Well, I think part of the question you asked is because their bones are, seem to always be black. Yeah. But the horns and crest is, should be bones, but yeah. they're not. Well, I guess the horns aren't bones, though. Yeah. Is what maybe- we talked about before is that the horns just aren't bones maybe they aren't or it could just be george having fun with the colors like he does with the random colors of the dragons and their and their fire i mean the colors of the fire is pure fantasy right i mean that's that's his that's his one of the most fantastical elements about them so it says that's interesting i looked i just i just looked up horns just now because i was curious and it talks about how it's a covering of keratin and other proteins surrounding a core of live bone so maybe if you like Oh, got the covering. Into the whole, and got into the horn. Okay. Maybe like it's, it is black on the inside. That may Okay, that like actually fits. Heart. Yeah, that fits because it's a covering, like you said, it, you, like you just read, it's a covering of keratin over, over bone. So if the, the color part could be the, the part that is the keratin. Yeah, yeah. or whatever. Whether that, also, whether that works out scientifically or not, I don't know. But George doesn't care about that. It, it also it's does fit for the claws because if any of the dragons yeah. have the black claws because keratin, you know, that's your fingernails. That's, yeah. that's not the same yeah. as bone. It's just a relative, you know. So, anyway, that it, it, it fits. I think it's just part of George having fun, though. I think yeah. maybe he didn't put a whole lot of thought yeah, into this. I'm, yeah, I, mean, that I guess bit he didn't it. obsess over it too much. But but we do have an answer. If, yeah, yeah. Which is the idea. It's something answer. we talk about in the show in the podcast a lot, which is the idea of plot holes. 
and how some, you know, you can go looking for plot holes and maybe you can find what you think of one, but if, if you don't take even a minute to think about what our options are, even if you don't like the solution, if you don't like the way to fill that plot hole, one still often exists. You just maybe aren't happy with how it fixes that. <laughs> yes. But I definitely think that that's what's... Plot holes and quotes are fun because you get to fill in the blanks of that hole and, you know, cover the bases there, basically. That's right. So that's a fun thing for me. Uh, that's what fan fiction is all about, um, as uh, it yeah. so happens. <laughs> Good point. That's true. I mean, you Char- gotta, that's how you explore holes, these un... Character holes and plot holes, but sometimes it is plot holes, to yeah. be fair. Or just the yeah, plot you holes, know, or just you explore the yeah. missing stories. Yeah, and, there's and lots of things that. fan fiction is for, but definitely one of them is plot holes. <laughs> Okay, so let me do our our credits here, and we'll see everybody next week. Uh, thanks to Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell rider of Maslacartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. See, we do have a white dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, wait. Um, you said uh, Maslacartho. Yes. Okay, sorry. And there he is. And also Jinx of House Lear, Green Queen of the Rainwood, rumored daughter of a woods witch, rider of Eugenia, a Sylphic Albino dragon. And opalescent things, another Sandrixian piece. One of the rare kind of purpley dragons. <laughs> That's right. Some of the people in the chat were asking us about a bunch. There were no purple dragons, but we do yeah. see, of course, the purple egg. Yeah. And we never, we don't see it hatch. So we would have, I guess, probably had one, but it never happens. Yeah, maybe Vagar will turn out to be purple. <laughs> white and purple. They can be both. They can have white, or she can have the white and a little yeah. bit of purple. I like they, by the way, for dragons. I feel strongly oh, yeah. that they is we don't the correct have the, Yeah, we don't know their gender. Them. You don't know their gender. Yeah. Their gender, you know, they're non-binary. They switch back and forth. Like, You're right. I, it's really very simple to call them they. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, you literally don't know their gender. So, yeah. yeah. So just, just say it. That's a good point. Uh, Peers of the Realm, the mysterious BR, Hand of the King. The Smiling Wolf is Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, Soldier Scholar, Philosopher, Diplomat, Hand of Queen Ashea, who is also the best. Hey, there she is, right there. Uh, Lady Suzanne Sinistral is the learned holder of the left-handed Valyrian shears called Penance and Hand of the Beard. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog is Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath is of Covington, Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Step Zones in the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by Flagship Caraxes and the Bloodstone Fleet led by Flagship Prince Damon. You know what I'm going to have to do one of these times just to change, just to mix it up? And I, I think thought of this because someone asked me to sing Happy Birthday. I should sing the credits one of these times. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> just make up goofy music and harmony while I'm singing. That'd at least make it a, a little change up, a little, a little different look for it. By the way, I just want to throw this out there for anyone who's listening and has the inclination. For the game streams, um, Aziz's game streams, I've long wanted kind of an 8-bit version of our song. Of our theme song? Yeah, for the gaming stream. We have it. We have that We have version? an 8-bit version. We yeah. do? Yeah, someone sent I it to t- us years ago. Well, that's hilarious. Yeah, so, I've, I've long commented. I'm like, I think it'd be perfect for the game stream. Just switch it yeah, out and have I'll, that. I'll find okay. it for you after, the sh- okay. after, after we're done. Yeah, yeah, oh, we've awesome. got one. It's really that's good. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, it pays to bring things up. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah, it wouldn't be perfect for the CK2 streams, I feel like. You're right. You're totally right. We should switch it up. But yeah, you're going to sing for us another time. So also thanks to the small council, Lord Daniel, the sneaky Russian, master of ships, Grand Maester Via James, Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, master of laws, Lord Fabian Flowers, the bastard of Greenshield, master of coin, and we have uh, Johan, who is our master of whispers. 
Lord and ladies in their castles include Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is uh, Lord of Castle Ganges. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashland Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Seal Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemmy Bunny is Guardian Ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual wielder of the Valyrian Short Swords, Glorious Morning, and Little Light Wise. And Sharpshooter of the Werewood and Ironwood Laminated Longbow, Todd Van Oben. Todd Von Oben, rather. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, last scion of Clan McCulloch, Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Listen for the silence. A new tradition is is uh, burgeoning here, as while I read the credits, Ashea has taken to going to find one of our nearby cats and putting him on camera. So, yeah, people requested it. This is Xerxes. Oh, good, good requests there, folks. <laughs> yeah, he was sleeping. We also have... Uh, the Bastard of the Wolfswood, First Forester of the Old Gods, Sworn to House Ironwearwood, Listen for the Silence. Connor the Dungeon Master, Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass, Lady Baelish, Dark Widow of Harrenhal, Lord Sidney Jesse, the Fallborn, Lord of the Blue Spring, Sir Valentine of House to Jen, Creator of the Game of Predictions, Futures Market, Lady Liana Kelly of Wolf Island as Protectress of the Steel, Casey Stark of House Acres, and Lady Kay of House Archer, Lady of Earth Dog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrels Bane, the Mighty Dire. We need to round out our lords and ladies in their castles. We also have Sir Justice, Sir Justice? No, King <laughs> Justice, Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. That was not a very steady reading of his name, but you know, mistakes happen. Our Queen's High Council includes uh, Rebea, Star Eyes, Lady of Waves, and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows, we bear our claws. And Grand Maester Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, first lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel ink. And currently, there's no master of coin or laws. But we do have you do have a master of whispers who I haven't moved into place oh, yet. Oh, no, you have. Well, he's kind of doubled up in a couple spots. He's he's hanging out in a couple places. It's cool. Here he is. You know the name. We've already read it. Oh, Aliskander of UT, captain of the Blazing Sabers. Do not go gently into this long night. See, we told you, we told you that twice. Yeah. Do not go gently into this long night. You've been warned several times. Now. <laughs> and continuing on, our Kingsguard includes Miriam R, the Lord Commander, Sir Dollars D, longest tenured White Sword, Willa Crowsbane, Guardian of White Tree, First Lady of the Free Folk, Sir Dean the White, Knight of the Black Star, Sir Jord of House Pepsi, the Beverage Knight, mm. and our Queen's Guard is right here. Oh, right here. We have Alexander of House Atreides. Oh, sorry. Uh, cats are distracting me. Um, we have Lord Captain Commander Hama Helmuth, the Sellsword Sentinel. We have Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Doom. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. We've got Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North. Michonne the Melodious, Star of Old Town, Minds Over Masters. Ser Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood. Ser Leon of House Walker, Wielder of the Twin Valyrian Steel Blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood Bow, Rain. And Amber the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist and Mother of Squids. Right on. Oh, the Beard Guard is led by Lord Commander George the Golden, backed up by Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Copper Mane, the Unbound, that Dance the Fervor, Sir Jeff, Warden of the IC, at the AC, Wielder of Triad, the multifaceted Beard of Platinum, Red, and Brown, Stay Frosty. Sir Tim Corgyle is the Mad Boy of the Western Desert. 
and Queen Helena von Lanstein is partying like it's 1999 since 1980-something. A kingdom for a drink. Last but not least is the history of Westeros Night's Watch, led by... Lord Commander... Benjen Umber, the Smiling Giant. Silent Giant, rather. Wielder of the Valyrian Seal Greatsword Winter's Kiss. And first builder Magor Snow, aka Magor the Cool, the Fire in the Snow. First steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine is called Pale Wind. And first ranger Sir Source Dilica of House Gramercy. And we shall say goodnight and adio and Valar reredus and Valar repetus the caddis <laughs> sitting on screenus. He got back in his box. <laughs> but yeah. Back on box, but back on screen. And now. Our watch has ended. And now our watch has ended, our show has ended, and we'll see you next time.